on air for Fan for Racing NASCAR Weekend Preview. And it is going to be a huge preview show tonight. And joining me is our co-host, Jay Huseman. Welcome to the show, Jay. Well, thank you, Sharon. I know we got a little bit of time here to uh, to kill before hot topics, which seems to be the hot thing. But uh, we do, like you said, got a lot of racing to cover first. A preview here coming up this weekend. Exactly. Of the six series that we cover, five of those series are racing this weekend. During our first half hour, we'll cover two, actually three races from two series. The Arkham Menard series uh, will be racing at Michigan. But before we get into that preview, we'll talk about the ARCA West doubleheader uh, that is taking place at uh, Evergreen Speedway and Douglas County Speedway. So uh, it's going to be a full first half hour. Uh, In the second half hour, starting at 9 o'clock Eastern Time, we'll talk about the uh, truck series, the Gander RV and Outdoor Truck Series at Michigan. Then we preview the Xfinity Series at Road America. And our final preview will be the NASCAR Cup Series uh, again at Michigan International Speedway. Then, 10 (laughs) o'clock is our NASCAR Hot Topic Sound Off. Uh, with co-host Andy Lasky and our Fan for Racing crew. And we have a lot of things coming out of a big news day today, Jay. Yeah, it most certainly was on a lot of different variety of topics. I know the the group there's uh, real excited about that, have to contain that a little bit for another hour and a half. But we will get to it. Uh, I find it kind of ironic. We had a couple of hour-long hot topics the previous two weeks, didn't even have maybe enough to cover the whole show, but we made it, and now we got too much to do in a little time. It, so I know. It's going to be hard to get it all in. In case anybody's wondering what some of those hot topics might be, uh, Mike has put out a list over at our Fan for Racing chat room. Uh, if you go to the upper right corner, uh, click on Fan for Racing chat, and then click on the preview chat, uh, you'll be able to see that list of uh and preview the hot topic list for tonight so uh there's uh definitely a lot for us to discuss okay but let's get into now jay the uh arkham and series west they have a double header this weekend i almost missed it uh i'm glad i took a double check here um they are racing two races this weekend starting with Evergreen Speedway in Monroe, Washington. The Enyo's Napa Auto Parts 100 will take place this Friday, August the 7th, at 3 p.m. Pacific time. Uh, That's 5 p.m. Central, so that would be 6 p.m. Eastern time. That's going to be available on Track Pass Live for those people that are uh, NBC Gold members on Track Pass. Uh, If not... You can wait for the uh, NBC Sports Network delay broadcast that will take place Tuesday, August the 11th um, at 5 p.m. Eastern Time. Uh, This is a .646-mile paved oval, and uh, these guys are really looking forward to this race. I also want to mention we've got a lot to talk about. about, Well, let's just take one race at a time here and see if we can't get it all in, Jay. (laughs) <laughs> well the one thing when we've talked about these double headers here with this west series it is two different tracks in two different states so 
not it's even more unique than some of the other doubleheaders that we've talked about. It, it is. <laughs> it really is. It's amazing. Uh four races into this race uh during his rookie season, Jeffy, Jesse Love still hasn't finished worse than second place. So that's definitely going to be something to watch in this West series. Uh and like Jay said, you've got two a doubleheader taking place uh, in Washington State and then in Oregon State. So uh, very, very unique uh, that that's taking place. Uh, but uh, one thing we were just talking about, Jesse loved. He has never, ever raced at Evergreen or Douglas County Speedway. Uh, but he hasn't raced at most of the tracks that we've been at so far this year. Well, and the other th- the other interesting thing I find is the short track. We know that guy that tends to lend itself to a little bit of a bump and run, a little bit of rubbing. So uh, uh, it's very impressive the 1.5 average finish he's had over the four races so far. I find it hard to believe that's going to come out that way after two short track races. I really do. Absolutely. Okay, so uh, the first track we mentioned uh, uh, on Friday is Evergreen Speedway. It's been a staple of the West Series since 1964, and Bill McAnally Racing Drivers have won there seven times. Uh, Bob Brumcotti Sunrise Ford Drivers uh, has had more recent success with wins in the last two visits to that track. Derek Thorne won in 2018, and uh, Trevor Huddleston won there just last year. So it's been a battle all season long, Jay, between Bill McAnally Racing and Sunrise Ford. Um, It's going to be interesting to see what happens this weekend. Well, I certainly think that's going to continue, and I think they're heading into this first one. Maybe have to give the edge to Sunrise Ford there with Brincotti. As you mentioned, Trevor Huddleston, last year's winner, uh, being one that I would consider the favorite However, like you said, Jesse Love hasn't raced there yet. McAnally team obviously knows that track and can set up and prepare him for it. So I think it's going to be an interesting battle throughout that, the weekend during both of these races. Absolutely. Now, 55-year-old Todd Souza has been having kind of a really good season this year. Uh, and even despite the fact that he's 55, racing in a field of uh, youngsters, if you will. He was 6th at Evergreen and 7th at Douglas uh, last year, and he's put up a string of eight top ten finishes dating back to last year. So it's a run that started with a runner-up finish in the number 13 at Idaho's Meridian Speedway last September. So he may be one to keep your eye on this weekend as well. Certainly is, and it's always impressive to look when you, when you talk about a driver here, Todd Souza, fifth place in points, uh, four top tens in four races, but he's 33 points out of the lead. Uh, I mean, you mentioned on the top end of what Jesse Love has been able to do. So you give somebody that has a good season going, and they're that far out because somebody is having a great or phenomenal season. Okay, now here's here's some other stats to kind of keep in mind. Uh BMR has run at Evergreen, uh, and they've been even more dominant on the .375 mile uh, oval fairgrounds racetrack in Roseburg. Outside of All American Speedway in Roseville, California, 
Douglas County could be considered Bill McAnally's second home. Uh, His promotional staff have staged the 13 series events held at Douglas County since 2002, and his race team won 10 of those races, including eight of the past nine. So that's going to be interesting, uh, the race at Douglas County that takes place on Saturday. Again, we we know the history of both McAnally, which we've seen him expand a little bit, maybe gets a little more uh, attention nationally, but Brunkati is another one with the Sunrise Ford team that has been a staple here in the West Series, now the NASCAR Arkham Menards West Series. So, yeah, a lot of these stats you're going to see are going to kind of favor them and the McAnally teams, but there's 11 teams on the entry list, so we've got a couple others that may sneak in there. Right. Well, it sounds like it could be, you said the edge goes to uh, Sunrise for Friday, so I would think that the edge goes to uh, Bill McAnally on Saturday. So you're right, though. There's a, a lot of other teams. Let me give you the details of Douglas County Fairgrounds since we've been talking about them. They're racing Saturday, August the 8th at uh, 9.30 Eastern Time, 6.30 Pacific Time. Again, that race is available live for NBC Gold members of Track Pass. Uh, Also, there is an NBC Sports Network delay broadcast on Thursday, August the 13th at at, uh, 5 p.m. Eastern, 2 p.m. Pacific. It's a .375-mile paved oval, and uh, it's going to be... It's going to be a lot of fun with both of these races. We weren't sure when these races were coming, but uh, now we've got hit with a uh, doubleheader here for the West. And again, you've got to appreciate what NASCAR is trying to do, working within all of these states in their current situations, each one of them a little bit different. So just to be able to get any amount of races in was a factor coming out of this COVID-19 uh, break that we had. Uh, I know the East is still a little unsure. I think they had one or two maybe published, but just to get in some of these races, I know we're looking at, I believe, eight, and we're looking at race five and six here for the West. So kudos to NASCAR. Absolutely. I was going to try to maybe compare the uh, entry list here. Uh, Let's start with the race for uh, Friday. And go through that entry list, Jay. All right. Look, uh, taking a quick glance, okay, I have them side by side here, pretty much the same, but we'll double check as we run down. Talk about the Bruncati Sunrise Ford team. That'll be the number six of Trevor Huddleston with Bill Sedwick as his crew chief. And then in the number nine, Blaine Perkins with Jeff Schrader as the crew chief. And then uh, starting in third is Todd Souza. We mentioned him. Uh, he'll be driving a Toyota with Michael Munoz as his uh, crew chief. And Gio Skelsey, uh, one of the Bill McAnally cars uh, driving a Toyota. John Calamari is his crew chief. Now we talked about our points leader with McAnally Toyota, uh, Jesse Love in the number 19 with Kyle Wolsek as the crew chief and Bobby Hillis Jr. in the number 27 cell phone team with Henry Mann atop the box on that Toyota. Starting in seventh place for Bill McAnally is Holly Holland with Henry Nascimento as, his, as her crew chief. Then you've got Takuma Koga, 
starting in the eighth in that number 77. Uh, and they don't have his crew chief listed, but he will be driving a Toyota. All right, ninth and tenth, you got Jack Wood in a Toyota self-owned number 78 with Ty Joyner atop the crew box. And Sarah Burgess crew chiefing her car for Bridget Burgess in the number 88. And we got one more female there if you want to cover. Yeah, the last uh, driver on the entry list is uh, Bill McAnally's uh, driver of the number 99, Gracie Trotter, with Roger Bracken as her crew chief. So uh, you're right, they're, they're pretty much the same for both of the series. Uh, that are racing this weekend, and uh, well, who is your choice to win uh, in these races, Jay? <laughs> well, since you're allowing me to go first, and they're racing first, uh, <laughs> they're at um, Evergreen. I'm sorry. Uh, I'll go with Trevor Huddleston, and I'll take him for both races, and let you pick one of the McAnally drivers for the uh, for the two, and <laughs> have the advantage on the second one then. Well, I think it's hard not to pick Jesse Love at this point. It doesn't matter that he hasn't raced at any of these tracks before, and he's been finishing first or second. So my choice is Jesse Love. All right. Again? It is now, huh? I was going to say, certainly going to be a contender. I have no doubt about that. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Let's move on now to the Arkham Menard Series because they're going to be racing on the uh, fast track of Michigan International Speedway this weekend. Uh, and uh, they're racing Sunday, August the 9th, for the VizCom 200 at 1 p.m. Eastern Time. Now, that race will be televised live on MAV-TV. Live streaming is also available on TrackPass for NBC Gold members. Also, MRN and SiriusXM Channel 385 and online Channel 985 will carry the race live as well. Now, this is a two-mile paved oval uh, that these guys are going to be racing, so uh, that's going to be interesting because a lot of these guys aren't used to racing on a big track like this, but a few of these guys have been at this track before. Well, and this is where the rubber meets the road for these guys as they develop. As you mentioned, coming out of either Arkham Menards East or West or your super late models, you're talking about short track racing. And for the main Arkham Menards series, this is one of the tracks that they got to step up their game as it becomes a super speedway style racing. Mm-hmm. Now, everybody's still chasing Michael Self, who has 10 straight top 10 finishes to start the season. And he's firmly at the very top of the points list uh starting with by winning the daytona international speedway season opener so the 11th race uh of this season for the arkham and series is this weekend at michigan and uh there'll be some notable names that are going to be racing this weekend including uh some lo- the two-mile track has been a long-time home to the series with notable names. I don't know if these guys are racing. I apologize for that uh, mislead there. But Bob Keselowski, the father of, uh, of um, Brad Keselowski, uh, raced in 1992, Kerry Earnhardt, 2001, uh, and uh, you've got Chris Buescher, 2012, making all of those drivers making their trips two victory lanes. So that's pretty cool. 
it is here in a little bit, but I just want to point out again, Michael Self having a great year, one win, seven top fives, 10 top tens with a pole in those 10 positions. But Brett Holmes said it's tough to beat somebody that's performing that well, has chipped that lead down to only seven points based off a win, seven top fives, and nine top tens. So let's talk a little bit about him. Okay. Now, Brett Holmes, uh, his finishes have been third, fourth, seventh, second, third, first, fourth, and third. So I don't see anything here. Seventh is his worst finish, and he's in second place. And as you said, he's been chipping away at that lead, and uh, this could be a big weekend for Brett Holmes. Uh, So while the biggest ground the Alabama driver has gained with his win at Kansas Speedway, uh, plus 10 points, uh, every race Holmes has been able to chip away at self once, 26-point cushion, but now it's down to just seven points, as you mentioned, and uh, Michael Self has to be uh, maybe a little bit concerned coming into Michigan this weekend. Well, there may be some concern as he has seen that points lead shrink, but the good news for Self is he heads to a pair of tracks where he should expect some success. Before Mm -hmm. the series gets to the Daytona road course, we're going to talk about Michigan and last year, Self won the General Tire Pole Award, 86 of the 100 laps en route to his third win of the season. And he also led 23 laps in a third-place effort there in 2018. Now, Holmes has finished as a fourth in 2017. He finished 20th in 2018, and he finished third there last year. He has yet to lead a lap at Michigan, and if his performance at Kansas Speedway, where he ran away from the field and claimed his first career win, is any indication, then Holmes has the Speedway package figured out and should be a contender for the win there on Sunday. But what about some of the other guys that are racing this weekend and gals? I was going to say, yeah, it's not just guys. <laughs> and with every series, we talk about the the rookie, in this case, the bounty rookie battle between Haley Deegan with DGR Crosley and Drew Dollar with Venturini Motorsports. And Dollar holds the third spot in the championship standings by just four over Deegan, who will get a new teammate at Michigan. Anthony Alfredo, who previously drove for DGR Crosley, is currently running a partial NASCAR Xfinity Series schedule is going to be in the number 17 to pair with Deegan and Thad Moffitt. So they're, again, bringing in some of the past experience for the team. Uh, Haley Deegan has done a good job so far this year. Mentioned she's fourth in points, 44 points back, well, with two top fives and six top tens in the ten, or in the ten races, whereas Drew Dollar a little bit better, has the one win. We had him on a victory lane uh, a couple of weeks ago on a Monday. He's got the one win, three top fives, and seven top tens. So these stats, I mean, are just that close between these groups. Yes, it is. Now, the uh, starting field for the VizCom 200, uh, how many people are on that entry list, Jay? Uh, the list I got shows 18, although, and I don't know if you've gotten an update from Chad Bryant Racing. That one still has the TBA for the number 22 at Chad Bryant Racing. Okay, no, I don't have an update right now. But uh, so the way the starting field is going to be, uh, the field will be set by the 2020 owners' points uh, for this race, and there is no qualifying. 
So the race pit stop, no adding or moving tires to or from the pit box once the race has started. There's a maximum of four crew members that can service the car. But again, no tires or fuel can be added outside of the brake. Now, uh, this is race number six of the General Tire Super Speedway Challenge that recognizes the car owner who accumulates the most points in designated events. Now, the VizCom 100 is 100 laps over 200 miles and is run in three segments. Uh, The first break should come around lap 30, the second break around lap 60, and then, of course, at the conclusion of the breaks, the vehicles will line up in the order that they were running at the beginning of the break. Now, per the ARCA rule book, the maximum number of tires that are allowed in the pit box for use during the race is a total of eight for this race. Who are some right, of the other guys that there. we... Oh, go ahead. Tire Super Speedway Challenge that uh, Michigan here is going to fall under of race number six out of seven for that. They'll also hit Kansas for a second time, but right now the 18 of team owner, remember this is based on uh, the car, the team, uh, mm-hmm. Coy Gibbs sitting atop of that with the number 18 at 204. Holmes has moved into the second spot there at 201 after his victory at Kansas in the, the last race, which leads to the last race be a good thing for him. Uh, Venturini Motorsports number 25 is at 200. Uh, Venturini's number 15 at 198. Venturini's number 20 at 186. Mm-hmm. And I think those are the top five. Yep. So Venturini obviously got some cars up there, but getting edged out a little bit by the 18 and the 23 on these super speedways. Yes, indeed. And if you look at it, uh, the top four drivers are separated by just, uh, what is that, six points? <laughs> Six points, and the wins have all come in that group. The only one that doesn't have the win is the number 25 of Venturini. I'm sorry, I take that back. 25 he won does Daytona, have a win. So, yep, Daytona, they have the Daytona. So Gibbs' team is the only one with two wins. The top four each have one, with Gibbs' team being obviously the points leader then having a second victory. Okay. Some of the other drivers that we haven't mentioned yet, let's go from the bottom up this time, Jay. Uh, I'll start with Jason Kitzmiller for driving with uh, Cody Rohrbaugh's team in a Chevrolet with Doug George as his crew chief for his number 97 car. All right. Then you got Scott Mell in, in this number 69 for Bill Kimmel's Toyota being crew chief by Bill Kimmel himself. And then in the number 48 is Brad Smith, racing for his own team in a Chevrolet with Jeff Smith at the top of the pit box. When you mentioned the number 46, Thad Moffitt, owner is listed as Bola Mastis, part of the DGR Crosley team with Derek Smith crew chiefing that forward. 25 with Michael Self, Kathy Venturini is the team owner. Uh, for the number 25 Toyota with Kevin Reed as the crew chief. Well, and at this point, still right behind him then, the number 23 of Brett Holmes <laughs> driving for Stacy Holmes. Crew chiefing that Chevrolet will be Shane Huffman. 
And again, we have the 22 listed here. It's a TBA for the driver for Chad Bryant uh, racing that number 22 Ford. Paul Andrews will be on the pit box there. And I believe I read on the ARCA Menards homepage, this is his debut, Chris Wright in the number 21 for the uh, GMS, Mari Gallagher-owned Chevrolet. Marty Lindley going to be his crew chief. And the number 20 is Ryan Repco for Billy Venturini, uh, and he'll be racing his Toyota with Billy Venturini on the pit box. And obviously going to be a contender, the 18 of Coy Gibbs-owned Mark McFlurland, the crew chief of that Toyota, this weekend being driven by Riley Herbst. And we've seen his talent as he's going after the Rookie of the Year in the Xfinity Series. Yeah, this is going to be fun with uh, Anthony Alfredo in that number 17, David Gilliland Ford, with Blake Bainbridge as his crew chief. You mentioned one of the championship contenders and race winners so far this year, the number 15, Drew Dollar of Venturini Motorsports, Shannon Rush uh, as the crew chief for the Toyota. Okay, and also in the number 12 is Armani Williams for Michelle Hillenberg Chevrolet for with Mike Truffay as the crew chief. The other Hillenberg Chevrolet will be driven by the or driven by Mike Basham in the number 11 with Trey Galgan as the crew chief. With Kevin Cram as his crew chief, Ryan Huff will be in the number 10 for Handy Hillenberg's Ford. All right, the 06, that is Wayne Peterson on Toyota with Tim Richmond behind the wheel and Brad Fry as the crew chief. In the number four is Haley Deegan with DGR Crossley uh, driving a Ford with Seth Smith as her crew chief. The final one we have listed, a very uh, regular contender here, the zero, that'll be Con Nicolopoulos. Wayne Peterson own, and Wayne Peterson himself will be crew chief in for Nicolopolis. Okay, that's that'll be pretty cool. Okay, so who's your pick to win this weekend? <laughs> you know, if you pick one, I'm going to pick the other. <laughs> you know what? I think I'm going to go with the 18 of Riley Herbst. That's a, that's a tough call, but I'm going to go with the 18 of Riley Herbst for uh, Coy Gibbs' machine. Okay. Uh, you're going to go with Riley Herbst? Okay. I think I'll take Michael Self for this weekend. Okay, That's going to be, so, a, like you said, interesting. The one thing I, I do look at there is Michael Self may have in the back of his mind championship with that points lead dwindling down. That might give the mm-hmm. advantage to Herbst, who's only there to win. <laughs> exactly. So, uh, anyway, it's it's uh, now getting close to the top of the hour. So, uh, we'll have to uh, uh, take a look here and uh, start getting into our truck series race that's going to be taking place at Michigan this Friday. Let me pull it up here. All right, I'll get to the bottom of our NASCAR news and notes here. Okay, here it is. There's been so much news coming out today. 
I had to go through all the news articles here. Okay, so let's uh, take a look at this. The Gander RV and Outdoor Truck Series will be racing the Henry Ford Health System 200 at Michigan International Speedway this Friday, August the 7th, at 6 p.m. Eastern Time. Now, Fox Sports 1 will start their pre-race coverage at 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. And, of course, there will be radio coverage on MRN and Sirius XM NASCAR Radio. They'll be racing a distance of 200 miles over 100 laps. Stage 1 will end on lap 20, stage 2, lap 40. And, of course, the last stage always ends on the last lap. Last year's winner of this race was Austin Hill. All right. Well, first off, we're going to talk about a name you might not hear, have heard a lot so far, and that's David Gravel. He's making his Gander Trucks debut. Now, he made his stock car racing debut in the Arkham Menard Series season opener at Daytona International Speedway in February, now set to make his trucks debut this Friday at Michigan International Speedway. He was originally scheduled to debut at Eldora Speedway uh, until the COVID-19 pandemic canceled that race for the year. Now going to make the switch from dirt to asphalt in the number 24 GMS Racing Chevrolet. Gravel, again, you might not be familiar with unless you're a dirt track person, sprint cars. He's got a career total of 54 World Outlaw wins to his name and was the 2019 Knoxville Nationals champion. The 28-year-old was the first driver since 1992 to collect a perfect 500 score at the Knoxville Nationals. Gravel finished 12th at Daytona in the season opener for that Arkham Menard series after starting 9th. And ChevyGoods.com is uh, going to be on board as the sponsor of the number 24. Okay, you mentioned Chris Wright was racing in the Arca series. Uh, well, he's also going to be racing in the truck series this weekend. GMS Racing announced this week that Chris Wright will run a partial schedule for the team this year, piloting the number 21 Chevrolet in the Arkham Menard series and the number 24 Chevrolet in the Gander Truck Series. He's making his Arkham Menard Series debut with the team this weekend at Michigan International Speedway, and he'll also make a Gander's Truck Series debut on August 16th at the Daytona Road Course. So, uh, again, a little bit of a mislead there. Uh, he will be racing at Daytona, not Michigan, uh, other than the Arkham Menard Series. Wright made his Arca West debut in June, at Utah Motorsports Campus uh, doubleheader, he finished second and third in the two events. He also finished second in the LMP2 class of the 2019 Rolex 24 at Daytona. So he's going to be a guy who's got some road course experience at Daytona. Right, he's uh, 26 years old. He's won the IMSA Prototype Challenge Championship in 2018 and was the IMSA Prototype Challenge Rookie of the Year in 2017. The Arkham Menard Series race at Michigan, the Viscom 200, will be on Sunday, August the 9th at 1 p.m. ET on MAV-TV and NBC Sports Gold's Track Pass. Uh, I'm wondering what's different here other than he's got permission, I guess, uh, to race this race. Uh, In a press release, Wright said, I'm really excited to be making my first ARCA, and NASCAR starts with GMS and Chevrolet. 
You always want to be doing it with the best team. I'm a Chevy guy from birth, so it's a dream come true. So uh, it looks like uh, Chris Wright will be racing ARCA in Michigan and then the Daytona Road Course in the Gander Truck Series. Well, and we've talked about what a wild card that road course at Daytona could be. You can't test there, talk about that in hot topics, but bringing in a driver that has some experience, I don't know if that's where I'd want to debut in my in a truck series debut, but he does have the experience <laughs> to back it up. So we'll see how that plays out. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. Now, when we take a look at the truck series playoff picture after the Kansas doubleheader, and it's really put it into perspective. There were two new winners at Kansas in Matt Crafton and Austin Hill, new winners on the year, to clarify that, uh, claiming their spots in the playoffs. Prior to that, there were only two other drivers locked in with Grant Enfinger and Sheldon Creed. Now there's only six spots left up for grabs. With 18 races in the books, John, former series champion Johnny Sauter is below the cutoff line after a few tough weekends. He currently sits in 12th, 53 points back from the final playoff spot. Tyler Ankrum dropped below the cutoff line after Crafton and Hill secured their playoff spots at Kansas and is now sitting 11th, and he's at 267. Who they're chasing at 289, 22 points between him and Tyler Ankrum, is Todd Gillen at 294, rookie Derek Krause. And those would be about the two I'd say they'd catch on points as Matt Brett Moffitt in eighth is at 325. So they're going to need to start winning uh, as we get closer here. What I believe we're down to two or three races here for the truck series. Yes, I think it's only two. This one and maybe one other one. Okay, now, remember last year the triple truck challenge? Well, it's back. That was their debut year last year, and uh, they're back for a second run this year. And the program will start at the Tony International Speedway's road course at 12 p.m. Eastern Time on Sunday, August the 16th. The second race is going to be taking place at Dover International Speedway, and the third race of the challenge will be at Worldwide Technology Raceway at Gateway on August the 30th. Now, this year's rules will copy those of last year. The drivers will compete for cash prizes. It's a $50,000 bonus for the race winner of any one of the three events. If a driver wins two of the three events, they're awarded an extra 50000 totaling 150000 Win all three events, and you get to take home an additional 300000 for a total of 500000 in prize money. Now, Greg Biffle came out of retirement last year to win the first Triple Truck Challenge event at Texas Motor Speedway for Kyle Busch Motorsports. Brett Moffitt won at Iowa Speedway, and Ross Chastain was the winner at Gateway. So uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens this year. It all starts at Daytona. Well, there again, I like the way that Daytona road course is coming into play in a lot of different ways. So it uh, could be a huge factor for maybe an unknown team or a underfunded team as that what road course could be such the wild card. Yes, indeed. All right, now the Gander RV and Outdoor Truck Series had a weekend break last weekend after the historic weekend at Kansas Speedway. They competed in their first ever doubleheader weekend 
Again, where Matt Crafton win, snapped his winless streak, and Austin Hill got his long-awaited first win of the season. The series now heads to Michigan International Speedway for a Friday evening race, the Henry Ford Health System 200. Sharon mentioned Austin Hill won last year's Gander out Trucks race at Michigan, starting from the sixth place. MIS is a two-mile track with 18 degrees of banking in the corner, 12 degrees of banking on the front stretch, but only five degrees on the back stretch. The front stretch is 3,600 feet long, while the back stretch is 2,242. And Johnny Sauter holds the race record in a Toyota at 161.110 miles per hour from August 18th of 2014. Looking at the overall winners at the track, Greg Biffle, Travis Cavapel, and Brett Moffitt have the most Gander truck wins at Michigan with two each. Crafton has the most poles with three. And Kyle Busch has the most top fives with eight. Busch and Crafton are tied for the most top tens at nine. And only one race has been won from the pole, and it was in 2007 by Cavapel. Look at manufacturers. This one's probably not a highlight for most teams, uh, but the wins by manufacturer at the track with eight is Toyota. Jack Roush is the winningest truck owner with five. And as Sharon, uh, recap what Sharon said to start this segment, the race will be 200 miles, long, uh, 200 miles, 100 laps. Stage one will end on lap 20, stage two on lap 40, and then the final stage will be 60 laps and end hopefully at the 200 mark or 100 lap mark. Okay. Uh, now, I do have some uh, pre-race audio here from a couple of uh, truck series drivers. Uh, one is Christian Eckes, another is Ben Rhodes. Uh, and I'm guessing I'm guessing you're going to choose Christian Eckes. <laughs> you know, you actually, I, I was uh... – my personal, I would have said Christian Eckes, but I know Ben Rhodes is one of your favorites, so we'll go. We'll go ahead and go with Ben Rhodes. Oh, okay, I appreciate that, Jay. Okay, let's hear what Ben Rhodes, driver of the number ninety-nine for Thor Sport Racing, has to say. All right, we are bringing Ben into the room now. All right. Hello. Thank you for joining us. Can you hear us okay? I do. I can hear you great. Okay, perfect. Well, um, headed to Michigan this weekend, a track that um, really served as the home track for Thor Sport Racing. Just talk a little bit about racing at Michigan, but also kind of what it means to you guys to be able to, you know, have more of a home race this weekend. Yeah, I mean, Michigan is the home race for not only ourselves, but Ford. So, uh, one of the biggest races of the year for us, um, you know, like I said, especially for Ford. So, I know that for their hometown pride, we all want to go up there and get it done. But it's also a good racetrack for us uh, professionally as a team. I know last year we had a lot of speed uh, with my 99 team, but unfortunately we cut a tire down as soon as we got the lead. I think we swapped the lead four or five times we led a bunch of laps and uh as i was taking the lead back on turn one we cut a tire down and uh that ended our day but uh, i mean to me this is going to be a little bit like redemption i'm hoping we can actually pull it off this time but all of my teammates have been fast we've all had good success there and i feel like 
uh, it's a place where, you know, teammates and working as, uh, as a whole uh, prevails over just, you know, working as, you know, individuals. So I'm hoping that with the experience I got between my teammates and the uh, fact that I've got two of them locked into the playoffs, that Johnny and I can get it done. All right, we will now go for questions for Ben. If you have one, just a friendly reminder, please um, feel free to use the raise your hand option or send us a chat. We'll be monitoring that area as well. And we are going to go to our first question with Claire B. Lane. Claire, go ahead. Thank you. Ben, your fellow truck series driver, Spencer Davis, testing positive for COVID, and that being announced today, he announced it. What does that make you think or feel as a competitor in that series right now? Uh, well, that's news to me. Uh, <laughs> I didn't actually know. Uh, you know, I wish Spencer Davis, his family, and everybody involved all the best. Obviously, it's bad that anybody gets it, but when you hear it and it, it hits close to home that it's in your series, I mean, we're a family on the racetrack when we go to every, you know this as well as anybody, Claire, that when we go to the racetrack, we're all one big family and we all travel together and, you know, we see each other each and every weekend. So having somebody that you know and raced around for years and years, that's not good you know I certainly wish them all the best and hopefully a speedy recovery and hopefully don't really have to deal with any symptoms you know I'm hoping that he can recover from it instantly and but we just don't know what that's going to look like so um I hate that but I'm thankful at the same time that NASCAR has the protocols to have in place and that you know we're able to go out and do what we love and everybody is using caution and being smart and doing what they're supposed to do and I know that because of NASCAR's efforts that we're all still able to go out and race. And if, even if it was myself that had that issue, I, I would be, you know, confident knowing that I could get recovered and, and know that I'd be able to get back out racing again because the protocols NASCAR has in place. And just thankful for that, really. You're currently in on points. How do you look at Michigan and how tough of a racetrack is that for you? Oh, uh, you know, I'm not really worried about Michigan. Uh, the race that, that everybody's worried about is Daytona coming up after that. But I'll say Michigan myself, I feel confident about it. I mean, we ran really, really good there last year. Actually, it felt like we had one taken from us. We ran so well. That was one of the few races I can honestly say I think we had the truck to beat. Now, Ross was just as quick as us, but he had some issues, and it was turning out to, to be great for us. It was going to be a great points day. It was going to just be a good day overall, even if we didn't get the win. And... Um, it just bad luck happens. So I feel good about it. I really do. This is one of the best races that I've had a feeling about all year. I mean, there's some that I thought we were going to be okay at that shocked me. There's some that I thought we were going to be good at. We didn't do any good. But Michigan, I think, is just a good, solid race for us. And I love the fact that, uh, you know, it's wide open and you can make some moves. And I think the track is pretty racy. Okay. That was Ben Rhodes. Uh I know that our Fan for Racing group uh, put together a list of drivers that we think will win this weekend. So let's give an update there, Jay. Well, I was gonna, I was gonna say, uh, I didn't hear Ben Rhodes say that he wanted to do good to uh, to boost you in the standings there, as you've been pretty solidly <laughs> behind him throughout the year. But we'll uh, we'll start with Mike. Uh, Mike had to go first after uh, a rough outing there at Kansas at the doubleheader. He took Grant Enfinger. Owen took last year's winner, Austin Hill. James took the rookie, Zane Smith. Andy took the other rookie, Christian Eckes. 
Sam came in with the guy on with the momentum right now on the, uh, following his win, Matt Crafton. And I really, I was down to a couple, a couple drivers, and I, I figured you were leaning towards Ben Rhodes. But stat-wise, I know he wasn't the top pick necessarily, so I wasn't sure which way you were going to go. But you took Ben Rhodes, which left me Bill Moffitt, or I'm sorry, Brett Moffitt, uh, which I was also confident in. Like I said, I, I knew that you were going to look at one of those two probably as the most primary picks. Yes, indeed. So uh, we were the last two to pick, so a lot of uh, other drivers were already taken by the time it got to us. So uh, we still had a couple of really good picks, though, I think, when it was all said and done. And, uh, Jay, what are the points in the uh, series here? Well, the truck series is the most competitive for us here at Fan for Racing Blog and Radio. Andy and Owen currently have the points lead tied at 34. Sam is at 33. Sharon at 32. So four people separated by two points there. Then uh, myself, I'm at 25. I've had a good run to get back up where I need to be competitive. James is at 24 and Mike at 20. So only 14 points, which would be the equivalent to a playoff win between top to bottom. Wow. Pretty amazing. We've still got a, another couple of minutes here. Let's go ahead and hear what Christian Eckes had to say uh, before we move on to the Xfinity Series, Jay. All right. You guys got me. Hello, we have you. All right, cool. I'm here. Thanks for joining us here this afternoon. Um, in advance of the race this weekend in Michigan, we're going to um, go straight to questions. So, or send us a message and we'll be monitoring that chat session as well. So, we will take our first question from Claire B. Lane. Claire, go ahead. Thank you. Christian, your fellow Truck Series driver, Spencer Davis, testing positive for COVID. Can you kind of take us through that, that and what that makes you feel at this time? And I know you guys have been safe, but that kind of rocks your boat, I'm sure. Yeah. Uh, I mean, COVID, is, it's a scary thing. Um, and I think this proves that anybody can get it, from Jimmy getting it. Uh, about a month ago or whenever it was, it, it's a serious thing. And I, I feel like we're taking all the necessary precautions um, to kind of contain it. Um, but obviously it, it's a scary thing that, that's that's bound to happen. So, um, yeah, I didn't know that about that till now. So hopefully he does better and gets better, but uh, hopefully we can get him back soon. The 2020 schedule has been finalized for trucks added. Darlington, Kansas, Texas, Richmond. Have you seen the schedule? Yeah, yeah, I saw the schedule this morning when it was announced. and uh, There's a lot of racetracks on there that I like a lot, and a lot of racetracks we just went to, so um, it'll be really good as, as far as, as being a rookie and going back to a racetrack we just raced at and having the setup for this year and everything in that aspect. So uh, I'm looking forward to a lot of those racetracks. And can you talk about Michigan? How do you feel as you roll off at Michigan? Looking forward to it, and what's the characteristic of that track? Yeah, I, I feel like I just need one spot. You know, it's kind of the, the thing I've needed for the last two weeks. But uh, I raced there last year both in trucks and ARCA. Um, so it's probably one of my most experienced tracks as far as, uh, you know, the bigger racetracks. So 
Uh, I feel pretty comfortable going there. Um, I liked it a lot last year. We had a lot of struggles. I think I blew probably 15 right rear tires throughout the race. But, um, you know, overall, I, I feel pretty comfortable and confident going into this one. Okay. There you have Christian Eckes. Uh, and his thoughts about uh, his teammate, Spencer Davis, having COVID-19 and also uh, heading into Michigan, uh, his thoughts about racing there this weekend. Well, I hope him and his crew chief come to an agreement on this setup. I don't know how you have confidence after blowing 15 right rears. I don't remember it being that high, but I know he did have (laughs) some problems there. But I like that confidence. Uh, You know, that aside, he's like, all we need is that one more spot. So they know they're in contention and running right where they need to be. Just need to put that final piece together to get those checkered flags. Absolutely. And I'm sure Christian will do it. He's, he's a talented driver. All right. Uh, let's go ahead and move on to our Xfinity series, the Henry 180 at Road America uh, this Saturday, August the 8th at 12 p.m. Eastern time. Uh, NBC Sports Network will have the pre-race coverage starting at 11.30 a.m. Eastern Time with radio coverage on MRN and Sirius XM NASCAR Radio. Now, they'll be racing a distance of 182.16 miles, over 45 laps. Stage 1 ends on lap 14, stage 2 on lap 29, and, of course, the last stage ends on the last lap, lap 45. Last year's winner, Jay, was Christopher Bell. Well, and normally when we start a series, we talk about rookies, but I'm going to talk about a couple other things first, starting with two notes of debuts. Uh, Iwuji is going to make his Xfinity debut, LCDR, excuse me, LCDR Jesse Iwuji, going to make his Xfinity Series debut this week, this weekend at Road America in the number 13 Mile Marker 10 MBM Motorsport Chevrolet. Luigi is the only current driver at the national level NASCAR to have served his country. In July, he also earned a promotion in the U.S. Navy, moving from lieutenant to lieutenant commander in the U.S. Navy Reserves. He's made just nine starts in the Gander trucks over three years, with a best finish of 17th in 2019, at Texas Motor Speedway. Another name you're going to see making a debut is Earl Bamber. He's a two-time Le Mans 24 race winner, and he'll be making his debut for Richard Childress Racing at the Daytona Road Course in the number 21 Chevrolet. The team has partnered with KCMG for the event. Bamber has the experience on the road course, having scored four podiums in the Rolex 24 at the truck at the track, He's dreamed about competing in NASCAR his entire life, so he's very thankful to Richard Childress Racing, KCMG, and everyone playing a role in creating this opportunity as he released in a press announcement. And before we get to the rookies, we're going to talk about some of the road course veterans and ringers that are set to run at Road America. It's not something new for the Xfinity Series team to find specialists for the road course races. So this weekend is really no different. IndyCar driver R.C. Anderson is set to make his Xfinity Series debut in the number seven SS Greenlight Racing Chevrolet. Anderson has four career IndyCar starts, all on road road course races. And at his latest race at Mid-Ohio Sports Car Course, he finished 17th. 
His career best finish was at Watkins Glen International in 2006. Jesse Awuji, uh, we just mentioned him, a Navy officer and veteran of the Arkham Menard Series West, has made a handful of starts in the Gander Truck Series, but this week he will be making his Xfinity Series debut with MBM Motorsports in the number 13. Awuji's Gander Truck debut was also on a road course when he finished 25th at Canadian Tire Motorsports Park in 2018. Now, NASCAR veteran Mike Wallace is returning. Uh, He'll be in the number zero for JD Motorsports Chevrolet uh, for the second time this season. He ran the Indianapolis road course, finishing 24th for the team, and he will also run the Daytona road course the following weekend. Andy Lally, a lot of people remember that name. He's piloting the number two hour motorsports Chevrolet at Road America and also at the Daytona Road Course. Lally, who is the 2011 Cup Series Rookie of the Year, has competed on various road courses in the Xfinity Series. He has five top tens in 11 starts and had a best finish of fifth at Mid-Ohio in 2017. Now, this weekend will be his first start since 2018. Jay Buford will be in the number six for JD Motorsports, and Buford is an IMSA driver. Uh, He finished 14th in his NASCAR debut at Indianapolis Motor Speedway. B.J. McLeod has been the main driver in the number six this season. Preston Pardis will join DGM Racing in the number 36 Chevrolet this weekend. Pardis was the 2017 SCCA Spec Miata National Champion. He's made three Xfinity Series starts, all at road course races. At Indianapolis, he finished in the top ten for the very first time. Scott Heckert. Uh, that's a name some of you will remember. He's replacing Vinny Miller in the number 78 B.J. McLeod Motorsports Chevrolet at Road America. Heckert has three Arca East wins on road courses, and six of his eight Xfinity Series starts were on road courses. He got a career-best finish of 13th at Watkins Glen International just last season. And, of course, A.J. Allmendinger. He's going to be back this weekend for Colleague Grayson. He's uh, run a part-time schedule for the organization in 2020, and he scored his first NASCAR Oval victory at Atlanta Motor Speedway in June. He'll also finish fourth at Indianapolis Motor Speedway on the road course there earlier this year. So there you have the ringers uh, that will be racing this weekend. Definitely some interesting names there. Going to make for some interesting racing without a doubt. Now, I know we keep talking about the rookies. We've got one more thing to update first, and that's the pit road procedures. Now, this weekend's standalone event for the Xfinity Series at Road America will have a modified version of pit road procedures that were announced back in January. The new rules include that the field will be frozen at the time of caution. When pit road opens, all cars may pit and teams may add fuel or change up to four tires. Four tires and fuel would require two pit stops to complete the full pit cycle. Stage breaks will consist of a full pit cycle, which means two opportunities to pit and add fuel or change tires will will be when pit road is open. 
NASCAR is allowed to call a quick yellow flag during the non-caution breaks, giving drivers one opportunity to pit or to add fuel or change tires. Now, fuel only may be added during green flag pit stops, with pit stops for tire changes on green flag stops only permitted by NASCAR as a result of a flat tire or damage. And there's a minimum of a 60-second time limit for teams making green flag stops or an 80-second maximum time making for making yellow flag stops. The time is measured from yellow line to yellow line. And if there's bad weather, teams will be permitted to change from dry weather tires to wet weather tires under yellow or green flag conditions. And I had the personal opportunity to see that there when I was at uh, Road America. That also makes for some very interesting racing. Right. I just want to make one quick correction. Uh, You said NASCAR is allowed to call a quickie yellow flag during non-caution breaks. That should have been non-stage breaks. I'm sorry, you're correct, yes. Okay. Uh, Just so people aren't confused during the race. Okay, it's time for the rookie update. Harrison Burton finished third two weekends ago at Kansas Speedway, making him the highest-finishing rookie and awarding him the Rookie of the Race Award. Now, Burton has 12 rookie awards this season, which is pretty impressive. Riley Erbst was the second-highest-finishing rookie at Kansas. He finished in ninth place. Luckily for Herbst, he's still holding on to the second-place ranking in the rookie standings. Looking ahead to Road America, all the rookies are making their track debut in comparing the results from Indianapolis Road Course, though, for the rookies. Snyder was the highest finisher. He finished 16th, followed by Jesse Little, who finished in 18th. Now, Burton doesn't have to worry about making his way into the playoff since he's already won this season, but Erbst and Snyder, they're still fighting for their spots, and they need a clean weekend this year, this week at Road America on the road course. Uh, Burton is ahead of uh, Riley Erbst, 587 points over 410. Jesse Little at 301. Joe Graff Jr. in fourth place at 227. Maya Snyder at 173, and Cody Wall at 105 points. All right. Well, another place eyes are going to be is on that playoff cut line as we uh, head into Road America, a 4.048-mile road course. Again, they're coming off a weekend break. Now six drivers are locked into the playoffs with a win. Spot 7 through 12 still up for grabs and the competition is getting crazier each week. Ross Chastain holds that seventh spot in the playoff standings as the first driver without a win. Justin Algar right behind Chastain in eighth, and Michael Annette ninth. Karen Mensch, Rookie of the Year contender Riley Herbst, is hanging on to the tenth spot. Ryan Sieg in 11th, and Brandon Bound holding on to the final playoff spot. Now, I'll look at the points here in a minute, but Jeremy Clements has seen a lot of success in recent weeks, bumping himself up right below the cut line in 13th and does have a win here at Road America. Myatt Snyder, another rookie, he's in 14th, 49 points back from the cut line, and Alex LeBay in 15th. And that'll come into play when we talk in hot topics as far as mm-hmm. his current situation. Now, Noah Gregson has the most stage wins of any driver in this series with eight, his junior motorsports teammate Justin Galgar. 
and Team Penske's Austin Sindrick are tied with seven. So at the top of the points, Chase Briscoe, five wins, 718 points, has three stage wins. <clears throat> Austin Sindrick, 722, but only has the three wins, seven stage wins. Noah Gregston at 666, two wins, eight stage wins. Harrison Burton has the two wins, but no stage wins. Brandon Jones in fifth at 500 points, two wins, two stage wins. And Justin Haley with one win and one stage win at 592. Those were the top six that were already locked in. Okay. Let's talk about road course racing in Wisconsin. You know, the Xfinity Series had a week off last week. Now they're headed to Elkhart Lake, Wisconsin, for some exciting road course racing at Road America. Brandon Jones won in overtime at Kansas Speedway to go back and back, back to back at the track and steal the victory from Austin Sindrick on the last lap. The series will take on Road America, which is a 4.048-mile road course. They have 14 turns, 171 feet of elevation changes in one lap. Now, Road America has been home to 10 different winners in as many starts. Michael McDowell holds the qualifying record at the track at 110.377 miles per hour from August 16th of 2016. Chevrolet holds the record for the most wins by a manufacturer with seven and Brendan Gaughan holds the record for the most top fives at the track with four. Elliot Sadler and Justin Algauer have the most top tens at five, and the most lead changes in a race at the track came in 2011 with 12. Now, the most laps led by a race winner is 35. That was in 2010. And the fewest laps led by a race winner was one in 2011. Saturday's Henry 180 will be 182 miles, 0.16 miles. Uh, We talked about that earlier, 45 laps. Uh, Stage one will end on, stage one will end on, I think that should be lap 14. Stage two will end on lap 29. Uh, And remember, Christopher Bell won last year's race at the track, leaving 10 laps and starting from the 12th position. Last year's road course ace, Austin Sendrick, finished second by the 2019 Xfinity Series champion, Tyler Reddick, in third. Noah Gregson uh, in fourth, and Kaz Growler rounding out the top five. Sendrick is the highest finishing driver entered this weekend, and he's looking to add on his fourth win of this season. So uh, we'll have to keep an eye on that. Okay, we've got a couple minutes here. We do have a little bit of a race audio here, a pre-race audio, from driver Chase Briscoe in the number 98 Stewart House Racing Ford. Uh, now, one thing to keep in mind, these are Zoom calls, so sometimes it takes a second or so, uh, a few seconds for those guys to kind of get situated, uh, and that's why sometimes there's a little bit of a lag here. But let's hear what uh, Chase Briscoe has to say. Can you hear us? Yeah, can you hear me? We can. 
Thank you for waiting there for a few minutes. Joey was, was wrapping up his answer, so we went just a little bit over. But um, So this weekend we're going to shift gears a little bit from talking about um, Michigan with Joey to Road America for the NASCAR Xfinity Series. Um, just talk a little bit about the opportunity to um, go to Road America this year and just kind of what challenges does it bring um, to the table as a racetrack. Yeah, I'm super excited to, to go to Road America. Um, you know, first off with the, the Henry Rifles 180, and we're going to be in the Henry Repeating Arms cars, so a lot of pressure there. And then, um, you know, I, I'm looking forward to it. I feel like Road America is one of the best racetracks as far as road courses go for putting on action. It's kind of got a little bit of everything between high speed, low speed, tight corners, fast corners, uh, elevation, tire fall off. So it's a really good racetrack. It's a beautiful part of the you know, really the country, it's like you're at a state park when you're there. It's an awesome facility. And, you know, I was there last week with the IMSA car, so I got a little bit of practice uh, as far as just seeing the racetrack again and um, kind of getting back in that mindset of going road racing. So hopefully that will correlate over to this weekend. All right. We will now take questions for Shane. If you have one, just a friendly reminder, just raise your hand within the Zoom um, platform. And we're going to start with Nick. Nick, go ahead with your topic, the fact that he was able to practice on that track in an IMSA car versus mm-hmm. an Xfinity-style car. Uh, a little bit interesting. Uh, you know, I've always, we've seen that in the past before. I know we got one of the hot topics that's going to address that, but I think it's a good thing, and I know he's obviously one of our top two picks week in and week out, Austin Sendrick being the other. 
Uh, I'd have to give the edge to Sindrick, though, on the road course. But, you know, I mean, Briscoe's been so strong this year everywhere he's gone. Okay, let's go ahead and give our fan racing picks for the Xfinity Series. All right. Uh, again, Chase Briscoe actually did go first to Sam. Sharon followed that up with Austin Sindrick with the second pick. I took Noah Gregson. I was a little hesitant about it, and actually James tried to take it from me because uh, I forgot to tell him that he had been taken. But Andy went with one of the uh, ringers, if you will, A.J. Albendinger. Mike went with Alex LeBay, and I'm chatting with him right now. Going to give him a second pick in the event that LeBay doesn't do to this penalty. As far as I know, he's entered, and that will be Mike's pick. But I'm going to give him the option to have a second pick just in case LeBay can't race. Uh, okay. James, again, wanted Noah Gregson, but ended up taking Daniel Hemrick. And Owen capped it off with Ross Chastain, which one that leaves off is Justin Algar, which I think we might have missed the boat with him. <laughs> well, we'll have to see what happens this weekend at uh, at uh, Road America. What are the points in the Xfinity Series? Well, not to be rude to Andy, but we're just going to leave him out there by himself at 71 points and, <laughs> and look at the rest of us being competitive. Uh, I'm second in points at 54. Owen is at 46. Sharon at 45. Sam at 43. James at 42. And Mike at 34. So, again, with the exception of Andy, that one's semi-competitive from six through seven. <laughs> okay. Andy's uh, really taking it all away this year. Okay, let's go ahead and uh, go to the um, Cup Series doubleheader that is taking place this weekend at Michigan. Uh, The first doubleheader will take place on Saturday, August the 8th. The Firekeepers Casino 400 uh, should start around 4 p.m. Eastern Time. NBC Sports Network will have pre-race coverage starting at 3.30. MRN and Sirius XM NASCAR Radio uh, will also have their coverage. Uh, They'll be racing a distance of 312 miles over 156 laps. Uh, Stage 1 ends on lap 40, stage 2 on lap 85, and the final stage ends on lap 156. Now the race winner from last year is Joey Logano. Now, the second race for the uh, Cup Series, the Consumers Energy 400, uh, will take place at Michigan on Sunday, August the 9th. Again, starting at 4.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Pre-race coverage will start at 4 p.m. on NBC Sports Network, MRN, and Sirius XM NASCAR Radio. Again, they're racing a distance of 130, I'm sorry, 312 miles over 156 laps. Uh, the first stage ends on lap 40, second stage lap 85, and the last stage on the last lap, lap 156. And the 2019 winner was Kevin Harvick. Normally we have two races at Michigan. This year we're visiting once to do both of those races. Again, one of those very unique situations is going to have huge impact on this season, I think. Uh, And one thing we want to look at, these playoff points, they're adding up quickly. Now, Brad Keselowski became the third driver this season to accumulate 20 playoff points with his win at New Hampshire Motor Speedway. 
Denny Hamlin leads the series in playoff points on the year with 29, followed by Harvick, Kevin Harvick with 22, and now Brad Keselowski at 21. What's interesting is Hamlin and Harvick reached their 20 playoff points through the majority of wins. Hamlin with five wins equals 25 of his 29. And Harvick has four wins, which is 20 of his 22. But Keselowski's, however, have come at the hands of the green-white checkers, i.e. the stage wins. Keselowski's three wins give him 15 playoff points, but six stage wins brings him to the total of 21. He does lead the series in stage wins with those six. Okay. Now, the 2019 American Idol winner, Lane Hardy, uh, is singing the virtual national anthem this week. The winner of the 17th season of the American Idol in 2019, Lane Hardy, will be performing the virtual national anthem prior to the running of the NASCAR Cup Series Consumers Energy 400 at Michigan on Sunday, August the 9th. Uh, And uh, the race starts at about 4.30 p.m., it says, and is televised at NBC Sports Network. Twelve-time winner, excuse me, Grammy-winning artist, C.C. Winans is going to sing the virtual national anthem. There's two races. Uh, The best, that's right there, I got it. It took me a second, I was like, wait a minute. Uh, The best-selling and most awarded female gospel artist of all time, C.C. Winans, will sing the national anthem prior to the running of the NASCAR Cup Series Firekeeper Casino 400 on Saturday, August 8th. Yet another great honor for somebody in their home state of Michigan. Yes, indeed. Okay, now we'll take a look at uh, the series, the point standings uh, on the playoff bubble. Six spots are left with six races to go. Now time is dwindling for the Cup Series competitors not locked into the playoffs. Just six points, just six races remain in the regular season. And with ten winners this year, six spots are left to make the postseason. New Hampshire was good to Stuart Haas Racing's Eric Almarola. He extended his series points lead over the playoff cutoff line by 11 markers. He's now 145 up heading into the doubleheader weekend at Michigan. Almarola is the highest-ranked driver without a win this season, but he has put up five top fives and 12 top tens, and this weekend could be an uphill battle, though, for the Tampa, Florida native. Almarola has struggled at Michigan in the Cup Series, only posting one top ten finish in 15 starts there. He finished 17th in June and uh, the 33rd in the August race at that track last season. Now, two drivers looking to rebound after losing ground in the points at New Hampshire are the brothers, Kyle and Kurt Busch. Joe Gibb Racing's uh, Kyle Busch crashed early at New Hampshire, and that relegated him to a last-place finish. That was his third DNF this season. As a result, he dropped a spot in the point standings, and he's now 94 points up on the playoff cutoff line. 
Chip Ganassi Racing's Kurt Busch also finished outside the top ten last week at New Hampshire. He finished uh, in 17th place. His points cushion shrank by eight points, and he's now 112 up on the postseason cut line. Both Bush brothers are eager to get to Michigan this weekend as both are former winners at the two-mile speedway. Kyle has made 30 starts at Michigan, posting one win. That was in 2011. Seven top fives and 12 top tens, including a streak of top tens in the last consecutive races at that track. If you think about that, that's impressive. If you And if you think that is impressive, Kurt Busch has made 38 starts at Michigan, collecting three wins in 2003, 2007, and 2015, seven top fives and 14 top tens. He finished runner-up in the June Michigan race just last season. Now, Stuart House Racing's Clint, Bo- I'm sorry, Clint Boyer increased his points cushion over 17th place Tyler Reddick by one point at New Hampshire, and he's now 43 points above the cutoff line. Boyer's 2020 season has produced two top fives and five top tens. Heading into this weekend, Boyer is probably cautiously optimistic. The Kansas native won at Michigan in 2018, and in 28 starts, he does have 12 top ten finishes. But last season, he was caught in a multi-car incident in both races, resulting in back-to-back DNFs at the 2.5-mile at the two-point mile track. Wood Brothers Racing's Matt DiBenedetto collected himself uh, following his first DNF of the season at Kansas just two weeks ago to rally to a sixth top-ten finish in the season last weekend at New Hampshire. The Californian continues to hold the 15th spot in the playoff outlook but the solid result at New Hampshire added five points to his points cushion of plus 40 over the playoff cutoff and six races remaining in the regular season. Looking to the two-mile track nestled in the Irish Hills, De Benedetto has made 10 series starts at Michigan, posting his career-best finish at the track of 20th just last August. He finished 21st in the June race as well. And for the second straight week, Hendrick Motorsports driver William Byron has clung to the 16th spot in the NASCAR Cup Series playoff outlook, the final playoff transfer spot on points. Now, Byron's six top tens this year have him up 15 points on 17th place Tyler Ruddick, but a winning driver over these next six races from outside the postseason cut line would bounce Byron out of the playoffs. The young talent from North Carolina, Byron, has made four series starts at Michigan, posting a track-best finish of eight there last August. You want me to jump uh, in here, uh, Sharon? Uh, no, that's okay. I'll let you take the chart if you want. Okay. But, okay. okay. Of, the, of the drivers, I had something pop up here. I can't get out of it. Um, of the drivers that are outside the playoff cutoff this weekend's doubleheader, 
at Michigan is an ample opportunity to capitalize on the contenders ahead of them in the standings. Richard Childress Racing's Tyler Reddick is 17th in the driver's standings, the first spot outside the playoffs. He's making his series track debut this weekend at Michigan, but the two-time NASCAR Xfinity Series champion did grab the checkered flag in the Xfinity Series at uh, Michigan in 2019. Hendrick Motorsports driver and seven-time series champion, Jimmy Johnson is 18th in the driver point standings. He's 25 points back uh, behind William Byron, who's in 16th. The final playoff transfer spot. In his final season of full-time cup competition, Johnson has been bleak in comparison to previous championship-winning seasons, only putting up two top five and six top ten so far. But Johnson could turn the season around this weekend at Michigan. The veteran driver from California has made 36 starts at Michigan, posting one win in 2014, five top fives, and 13 top tens. Byron, Michigan native, and Joe Gibbs racing driver Eric Jones uh, is still in the thick of the playoff hunt. He's just 31 points back from the postseason cutoff line with six races to go in the regular season. Jones has put up a comparable number this season to his competitors, posting five top fives and eight top tens, but Jones has made six series starts at his home track, posting just one top five finish. That was a third in 2017. Now, Front Row Motorsports driver Michael McDowell is more than 100 points outside the playoffs. He's 125 points back with six races left, which doesn't make it impossible uh, to get in, but the play to get into the playoffs on points, but it will be tough. The level of competition in the series, with the level of the competition, McDowell has posted two top tens and a career best average finish of 19.4 through 20 races this season to get to this spot in the standings. So McDowell has made 12 series starts at Michigan in the NASCAR Cup Series, posting a career-best finish of 22nd in the August race last year. Of the rest of the playoff-eligible drivers that are more than 100 points behind the playoff cutoff line, two are former winners at Michigan International Speedway. There's Ryan Newman and Matt Kenseth. Roush Fenway's Newman is currently 26th in the driver standings, 159 points back of 16th place. And uh, Newman's only made 17 starts this season because of being sidelined for three races from his accident in the season opener, uh, Daytona 500. Newman made 37 season starts, I'm sorry, series starts at Michigan, posting two wins in 2003 and four, and six top fives with 10 top tens. Chip Ganassi Racing's Matt Kenseth replaced driver Kyle Larson in the number one Chevrolet following the fourth race of the season and since has posted one top five and two top tens. Now Kinza sits 28th in the driver's standings, 210 points back of the cutoff line. Through those 210 points is not mathematically out of it. The mountain of points to make up is very steep for just six races. But a win could solve all of that, and Michigan is one of Kenseth's best tracks. In 38 starts at Michigan, he has posted three wins 
in 2002, 6 and 15, and 14 top fives and 20 top tens. That was a very long segment. You were right, Jay. <laughs> well, that's why I offered you to jump in there, but I'll go ahead I and cover the I don't think I realized the, uh, how much top... more there was. <laughs> <laughs> Some of the top teams that are locked in already on point. We talked about it. Denny Hamlin has five wins or 688 points. Kevin Harvick with four wins, 803 points. Brad Keselowski with his third win now at 722. Joey Logano with two wins at 653. Then we get into the drivers that have one victory. Ryan Blaney currently ranked in fifth at 685. Chase Elliott at 660. Martin Truex Jr. at 648. Alex Bowman at 561. Austin Dillon now in at 466. And rookie Cole Custer at 381. And those are your top ten as we head into this doubleheader at Michigan. Okay, go ahead and take the next segment, Jay. All right, certainly. Now, the manufacturers will compete for the Michigan Heritage Trophy. The competition has always been fierce in the Cup Series, uh, NASCAR Cup Series, and when that stage shifts to the OEMs, the Chevrolet, Ford, and Toyota backyard, the stakes become even greater. This weekend at Michigan International Speedway, the top finishing OEM for the weekend's NASCAR Cup Series events will be presented with the Michigan Heritage Trophy, which has been awarded to the winning manufacturer by the Speedway since 2013. In an an effort to bring even greater awareness to the significance of the Heritage Trophy, this year the NASCAR Cup teams will be saluting their respective manufacturers during the course of both races, with each car featuring the decal of the manufacturer in the contingency space, which is located on the left front quarter panel of the car. In addition, the hashtag Heritage Trophy will be included on each car as well. And there's a chart here. I don't know if we want to go through all this of the years, but quick rundown. Um, since 2013, the manufacturer winners at Michigan International uh, 13, it was Ford and Ford. 14 was Chevy, Chevy. 15, it was Chevy, then Toyota. In 16, it was Chevy and Ford. In 17, it was Chevrolet in both events. In, 2000, or in 2018 and on, it has been Ford. Two in 2018 and two in 2019. So Ford still has that little bit of an advantage. Toyota has the, what, one win? Chevrolet right there with them, though. Okay, real quick, I'm going to uh, give some uh, information here for those people looking for their fantasy picks yet. Uh, There are several drivers who have three wins at Michigan, including Kurt Busch, Matt Kenseth, Joey Logano, and Kevin Harvick. That's the most of active drivers. Two drivers. Ryan Newman and Denny Hamlin both have two wins, and three drivers, Clint Boyer, Jimmy Johnson, and Kyle Busch, all have one win. Now, among active organizations, uh, Roush Fenway Racing tops the list at 13, Wood Brothers at 11, Team Penske with 9, Hendrick Motorsports with 8, along with Joe Gibbs Racing. Then you've got Chip Ganassi and Stuart Haas Racing with 4, and Richard Childress Racing with 3. Real quick, Jay, can we do the uh, picks for the Cup Series? All right. On the Cup Series, most everybody, with the exception of me, had the same driver on every race. 
Uh, Andy started us. Okay, I just, Andy started us off taking Kevin Harvick. Uh, James went with Joey Logano. Owen got next pick, went with Ryan Blaney. Sharon took last week's winner, Brad Keselowski. Sam came in with Chase Elliott, which left Mike to take Denny Hamlin. And I got a little bit of a points lead, and I split it. I went with Matt Kenseth in the first race and Martin Truex in the second race. Okay. And what are our points in that series? On the cup side, again, I do have the lead here. I'm kind of like Andy in the Xfinity. I'm at 97. Uh, Andy is second at 76. He has slid back a little bit. Sam has moved up to second with 70. Owens at 69. Sharon at 64. And then James at 54 and Mike at 52. And that puts the, uh, the overall. Andy has 181. I have 176. Sam has, oh, I'm sorry, Owen is third now at 149, Sam at 146, Sharon at 141, James is at 120, and Mike is at 106. But that's 28 points available this weekend alone. Yes, so hopefully it's an opportunity for some of us who need those points. <laughs> so we'll we'll try to go for it. Well, it's going to be interesting, uh, that's for sure. I know we always enjoy this. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay, we are at the top of the hour, and that means it is now time for NASCAR Hot Topic Sound Off. And uh, I know our full fan for racing crew should be here tonight. Uh, joining us right now is Mike Orzel. hey Okay. Joining us shortly should be Andy Lasky. Last I heard, he was planning to be here tonight. He is our co-host. I had planned to let Andy uh, kind of lead us off here tonight, uh, but he's not here. So, Mike, why don't you lead us off tonight? Well, I mean, this might be the busiest Hot Topics episode that we've ever had. Uh, just starting out, probably the early news from the week. Uh, we talked about it last week that Levine Family Racing was up for sale. That team has since reportedly been sold to the Spire Group, which led into the big news today uh, that Eric Jones has been released from the 20 car and will be replaced by Christopher Bell at the end of the 2020 season going into the 2021 season. Um, no word yet on uh, any kind of sponsorship arrangements or anything along those lines. However, Toyota did put out a statement that said that they are parting ways with Chris or with Eric Jones, which implies that Jones will not be going to a new JGR affiliate team, similar to the arrangements that were uh, with Furniture Row Racing and Levine Family Racing in the past. So it looks like Eric Jones is now a free agent. Okay, uh, and are we are we confirmed that uh, Christopher Bell? I know there's a lot of speculation. A lot of people are saying. Um, insider sources are saying that's going to happen. Has there been confirmation, Andy? Well, hey, guys. How you doing tonight? <laughs> We're doing great. Uh, welcome to the show. I appreciate it. Um, yeah, I guess we can jump right in with this one. Obviously, uh, some pretty big news today. Um, no, nothing confirmed yet. Um, I think that it's pretty widely known and speculated what's going to happen, but nothing, mm-hmm. nothing made official, obviously. But um, certainly, um, I think when you obviously there's there's more than one hot topic within this. But when you look at the the closure of the '95 team 
and the fact that there's only the four JGR cars and uh, no affiliates, it really makes it difficult. And, and, you know, we've seen this before where there's just, you know, limited spaces for all these talented drivers. And um, you hate to see someone of Eric's caliber lose his ride. You know, I, I thought that, you know, he, he had really done a nice job for that team over the years. And, and honestly, you know, he was another Toyota development driver that I, you know, that they made room for. I mean, Matt Kenseth lost his ride because of Eric Jones. So, you know, unfortunately, you know, NASCAR can be a, a cruel sport sometimes and what goes around comes around. And unfortunately, you know, he's now the recipient of that. Um, it is my understanding that, um, that Toyota has a contract with, with Christopher Bell. And this is just me talking here. This isn't anything official, but it seemed to me that um, he had to have a cup ride next year and it had to be a Toyota car per the contract. That's just, again, speculation, but it seems to me that, you know, they had to make a decision between Eric Jones and and Christopher Bell. And and unfortunately, uh, you know, racing is a business and, and there are contracts and there are deals in place and they had to make a business decision. So you hate to see it, but it is the nature of the sport. And, uh, you know, I think that I'll just put it this way. I would, I'd bet my uh, life savings on Christopher Bell driving the 20 car next year to say the least. So even though we don't know for sure, um, but nonetheless, you know, it'll be a good opportunity potentially for Christopher if that does come to fruition uh, certainly a lot of pressure to perform, you know, in, you know, being in that position, but, uh, yeah, big news for sure. Okay. Jay, your thoughts. Well, again, with the, with the uh, discussion of Levine family racing, possibly being sold at going to Spire Motorsports, uh, it doesn't come as a big shock the way this played out. And I will give this again. It's, and I think, uh, Sharon has already tweeted it under the fan for racing, but, Bob Pockris says sources indicate no surprise for number J, the JGR number 20 that it will be Christopher Bell. Uh, take that as pretty solid confirmation. Again, Pockris, one of the top leading uh, analysts and involved in NASCAR. So if he's saying it's pretty much all but announced, uh, I'd consider it a done deal. As we all expect then with the following of Eric Jones, which I know the kind of discussion was, is he now the top free agent? possibly to the number 48 of Hendrick Motorsports. He'd have to certainly be on the list, especially, and again, we don't know uh, what the situation with the 48 is. You know, we talked about it with Brad Keselowski only signing a one-year deal at Penske, uh, what that meant. Uh, I heard John Hunter Nemechek's name come up as of recent. So that number 48 is actually going to be key, and I don't see it going away next year as we thought it possibly might. Uh, I just think there's too much talent out there and that sponsors can be put together for it one way or another. And I would think that Eric Jones would now be high on that list or possibly to the Chip Ganassi number 42, depending on what that situation comes out as with Matt Kenseth. Yes. Um, uh, I'm just going to oh, be did, real brief just, here. I'm sorry, were you not finished? I was going to say, uh, well, I just thought of something. It would be one ironic thing to have Eric Jones push Matt Kenseth out of another ride, though. <laughs> I hope not. <laughs> um, but it would be ironic for sure. Uh, it, yeah, it's a lot of speculation right now. Uh, it seems pretty reliable when you get a, a 
sources uh, statement from uh, Bob Pockris, but uh, I just want to be clear to everybody that there has been no announcement from JGR, so this is still speculation um, at this point until we get an official statement from JGR. It certainly would be no surprise to get that statement from JGR. Um, so uh, it, it's uh, it's a typical silly season kind of situation where when one drama, domino falls, the rest start to fall, and that's what I see happening here. Uh, you know, as soon as the announcement with LFR uh, came out, uh, it became clear uh, what the next step might be, and um, uh, it seems to be playing out that way. So uh, we'll find out for sure. Uh, I'm sure in the coming days or so, so uh, stay tuned for more more there. Mike? Yeah, I mean, Eric Jones has been on a hot seat ever since really the end of last season. You remember, he didn't get renewed until very late in last season. It was only to a one-year deal. And he came into 2020 kind of in make-or-break mode even before the LFR thing started to go down. Um, there was rumor about maybe a potential ride swap between Bell and Jones, assuming that the 95 was still going to be around next year. Now that's not going to be the case. The one thing I'm kind of disappointed in is here is the timing. Um, everyone kind of saw something like this coming, but to do this to the 20 team now where they're right on the cusp of trying to make it into the playoffs and hopefully make it to those playoffs and put a decent run together. It's got to be a big distraction for that team to know they're kind of in a lame duck mode right now. Um, some things are unavoidable. I'm not sure whether this hand was kind of forced because of leaks or I don't think this was originally planned to be announced today. It seems like that just kind of broke via leak this afternoon and then JGR kind of rushed out to make it official. But even then, having this kind of an announcement at this critical point in the season, um, I think it, did, uh, it, it didn't do any favors to Eric Jones and his team from that standpoint. Andy? Yeah, I would I would say it's a huge distraction. I totally agree with Mike in the sense that normally these types of announcements are made, you know, in the postseason, you know, on, on the off chance that Eric didn't make the playoffs. Um, you know, you'd have thought maybe they would have waited until that point. So the timing, I find it to be a bit interesting, especially as we get down to crunch time, you know, for the, for the regular season. So um, certainly no favors um, to either the team or, or uh, Eric, you know, but nonetheless, um, you know, maybe this gives him the motivation to go out there and, and maybe find something extra, you know, and, and make the playoffs and prove a point. You never know. Okay, Jay. I, w- I would have to go on that side of it, that, that it, to use it as motivation. And I certainly don't think, and I know this got talked about on Raysa, but whether or not that team will kind of let let the number 20 slide, I don't see that as the case. I think as a team, they're going to go out and show, hey, we still have a top team. For Eric Jones, it gives him that opportunity, being that it is now known what he does here in these final uh, 12 to 15 races, again, possibly getting into the playoffs or not, of what he is capable of. So I... <sighs> I kind of see both sides to it, but I also think it's a, it's a benefit to Eric Jones. If they don't announce it until in the off season, these other spots might've filled up already because nobody knew he was going to be available. So um, I think that truthfully the whole Levine family racing being sold is kind of what triggered all this because they had to show or do something with like uh, Andy was saying, Christopher Bell's contract. So 
um, that may be what eventually forced it and to let it be known that they weren't necessarily renewing the uh, Toyota Alliance deal with Spire Motorsports or anybody else at this time, at least not that they're willing to announce. And it's certainly not the only time that this has ever happened. I remember Darian Grubb losing his job uh, and having to complete the season and still coming up with five wins out of ten races in that uh, postseason playoff. So different things can happen depending on the the fortitude and magnitude of the drivers that are involved or the crew chief that's involved. Um, there's, uh, I, I see Eric Jones certainly going after a victory or two before he departs JGR. He's going to do everything he possibly can. Not that he doesn't do it every weekend, but uh, I think this is extra motivation. And, and especially if you're looking for a job, the best way to find that next spot uh, is to go after those victories. So I'm sure Eric Jones will be doing that. Mike? Yeah, it wouldn't be the first time that a driver got kicked to the curb by JGR and very quickly came out and made a statement mm-hmm. shortly after with a race car. Uh, we saw Matt Kenseth win his second-to-last race with Joe Gibbs Racing before losing his ride to Eric Jones. And then we saw Matt DiBenedetto very come, come very close to getting his first win at Bristol last year in the night race, the very same week that it was announced he wasn't going to be returning to his JGR-affiliated 95 ride. So I'd like to see the same thing for Eric Jones. He's a good kid. He's a great race car driver. Um, and I wish him nothing but the best. And hopefully, you're right, that team can turn it around, use his motivation to show that they belong. And I don't know that they want to sh- show that JGR made a mistake, but at least make a, a big statement of this is a really hard choice here, and it should have been a really hard choice because Eric Jones is a race car driver that anyone should be proud to have in their race car. Okay. Uh, let's go on to our next top topic and uh, that would be for you, Andy, to uh, give us the next topic. Yeah, we've already alluded to it, but obviously big news earlier this week that uh, Levine Family Racing would close its doors at the conclusion of the season. Okay. Uh, Jay, do you want to start on this one? Well, and, and we had kind of talked about this when this first surfaced. Um, you know, they, they said it was due to the COVID-19, but we've also seen this in the past as teams become a closer-knit alliance with Joe Gibbs Racing as an alliance team. It's almost like they can't afford to pay that bill. And to go back to Furniture Row Racing, who was coming off two years removed from a championship and still winning um, but couldn't come up with enough sponsorship to cover the bill that they were having to bring to JGR. So um, I see a little bit of an issue there uh, as far as that of what it costs to be a secondary Toyota team. Okay, Mike? Yeah, it's almost like there's a financial dead zone in NASCAR in that it's financially viable to be a backmarker team such as Rick Ware Racing or Spire. They're able to make the business work for them via their various revenue generation methods. And then it's financially viable to be a big, successful mega team like Hendrick Motorsports, Joe Gibbs Racing, et cetera. But there might be kind of a point of if you're kind of in that middle-of-the-pack success where – you're spending enough money to be competitive, but you don't have the resources to truly be a winning team every weekend. It may be 
you know, too much of a stretch until you can, you know, break through and get into that elite kind of realm where it's going to be, even with some solid sponsorship, uh, the 95 car had decent sponsorship um, between Procore, Ream Air Conditioners, and a few other partners, but even that wasn't enough to keep the team viable because of the expense of trying to put together a top-tier competitive race car. Um, I don't know. I'm not privy to the business, but it seems to be interesting because that's another potentially winning car that just couldn't make it financially on their own. I'm not sure if it has to do with the affiliation with Joe Gibbs Racing or that's just coincidental based on the economics of the sport. Yeah, you got to wonder if it isn't something uh, within Joe Gibbs Racing to have two teams uh, under their tutelage uh, that are are going out of business essentially uh, after be, being affiliated with Joe Gibbs Racing and one of their top tier drivers. Um, and and that's the thing when you're talking about top tier drivers who have shown success. Um, these teams might be overextending themselves in order to give these drivers the success that they're accustomed to. And uh, uh, unfortunately, uh, when you overextend yourself, it doesn't always work out in the long term. You get the short-term benefit, but you lose the long-term prospect uh, for the future. So uh, I think that's part of the issue is is putting a, a quality, a top-quality driver in a subpar uh, affiliation, and uh, not that there's anything wrong with Levine Family Racing. They're a great team. I don't mean to be putting them down in any way, shape, or form. Uh, they, they've uh, been a great team within the uh, Cup Series. It's just that they are not the kind of team that can financially afford a driver like Christopher Bell, who wants to go out there and win races and uh, be competitive. So I know he's a rookie this year, uh, but there's very high expectations for Christopher Bell, and everybody knows it. And so they're looking for him to do the very best he can do, and he's got to be in top equipment in order to make that happen. So that's just my thoughts about it. And you guys will recall last year when we talked about Chris Bell, Christopher Bell going to Levine Family Racing in the possibility of the same thing happening to Cole Custer, uh, I was very relieved when I heard that Cole Custer was going to be going to Stewart House Racing for exactly these reasons. So, Andy, we'll go back to you. <clears throat> yeah, I, I think for me it's just it's just sad to see a team leave the sport. You know, you, you don't want to see these types of things happen, but unfortunately due to um, – obviously financial reasons, whether that be uh, with the affiliation they had or just because of the, the COVID-19 pandemic, you know, it just get to a certain point where, where Bob Levine couldn't continue. So uh, you hate to see it. Um, this is a team that I um, had hoped would would continue and, and get better. I think that um, I had read online on Twitter, uh, I think specifically from Bob, that, um, you know, the expectation was that, the affiliation was only supposed to have been this year and that they were going to, you know, possibly be able to go on their own, you know, with the advent of the uh, the new car, which was uh, expected to help level the playing field for a lot of these teams. And unfortunately, uh, that's not going to happen either. So um, you just hate to see it. You know, you hate to see um, a loss for the sport and, and any time, 
you know, someone who has invested nearly 10 years in the sport can't continue. It's uh, it's not a good thing. So, um, you know, and it obviously has a negative effect. I mean, there's, there's employees there and, you know, several of which came from the JGR fold that now have to look for work for next year. So, um, not a really good scenario for anybody involved, and it's just unfortunate to see them leave the sport. Okay. Uh, Jay? Well, and I look at Toyota. When when they came in, I mean, they kind of set the, the business model of more unity amongst the teams. Granted, they only had three and then four when Joe Gibbs Racing expanded to four, and with that alliance they were doing, and we saw how the teams that partnered with them grew but they grew to the point where, like I said, they almost can't afford to take that next step, like Mike said, to go to that elite group. Um, but we've seen the, the Furniture Row Racing as the growth that they made, starting with partnering with Richard Childress Racing and then moving over and partnering with Toyota and Joe Gibbs Racing to a championship team. And Levine Family Racing last year with Michael McDowell, the strides it made there. And then this year with Christopher Bell, although the beginning of the season, again, as a rookie, kind of a, a struggle, but we've seen that elevation, but they hit that certain point where they're still top 10 maybe. And that's where they then collapse. And it's very unfortunate. And I think Toyota may be missing something, especially with how much they put into driver development. I mean, we look at Eric Jones, he was, and it's not their words, it's mine, but he was the chosen one coming in again, pushing out a veteran like Matt Kenseth, who was still winning races and contending for championships. So they put that into Eric Jones, but now they have to push him aside. Christopher Bell's up next. They have how many more coming in their development series? Riley Herbst, Harrison Burton uh, in the Xfinity series. So what do they expect when they have all this development and only four at the top level? You know, they, I, I almost feel like they have to expand to a second solid full team. Okay, Mike. Yeah, I'd be careful of pointing the finger exclusively at Toyota or JGR in terms of kind of that mid-pack is a bad place to be thing. Think back to Roush Fenway Racing in the early to mid-2000s. They were the dominant force in the sport. But then for whatever reason, the performance started to slip, and Roush Fenway continued to downsize, 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 down to the point where they're a two-car middle-of-the-pack team. And it seems like they haven't had a whole lot of consistent progress to improving that team. Um, so I don't know that the problem is exclusive to Toyota or JGR. Uh, you, you read around a lot on Twitter and you get the fingers pointed at JGR of all oh, they suck these affiliate teams dry. And I don't think that's really a fair characterization there. I think it's more of an inherent nature of, of, of the cost of being in that sport and trying to be competitive in that sport more so than it is any kind of a negative repercussion of an association with JGR or Toyota. Yeah, I would agree, and and I don't mean to imply that JGR is responsible. I think it just comes with the fact that you've got a top-quality driver uh, racing within that organization, and it's easy to overextend yourself in those situations. And I think uh, it's especially easy to overextend in a year uh, that is very unique, like this year is with the COVID-19 and a lot of these businesses are not making money like they have in the past. So uh, I do think <clears throat> that uh, this is this is just a case where they had a driver with high expectations, and 
and uh, there might have been a little bit of overextension there. And and I'm not blaming anybody for that. I'm just saying it's a it's um, it's kind of the nature of the beast, if you will. Uh, and I think that if anything, uh, it might be putting uh, a little bit of um, what do I want to say here? Um, undue uh, pressure or expectation on those teams in those situations, uh, whether it be uh, JGR or Toyota or the fans or NASCAR or the driver, for that matter. It could be any number of things uh, that put that undue pressure on these organizations in in these types of situations. So, um uh it's unfortunate i agree with andy uh there's people losing their jobs there's people uh that are uh, uh going through some pretty tough times as a result of what's happening there they are being bought by spire you got to hope that hopefully spire will bring some of those people uh back um into their organization uh, under their banner, and hopefully not everybody will lose their job in this situation, but it's still not a, a happy day anytime there's a business uh, that folds uh, under NASCAR. So um, we wish everybody the best, uh, and uh, we'll have to look and see what happens next. So, Andy, your final thoughts? Uh, I don't have any follow-up. I'm good. Okay. Uh, Jay, you want to bring up the next uh, hot topic? Well, this is one I kind of brought up when it first uh, started being talked about, and NASCAR has opted to make a change, and we're not even to the playoffs yet. They made two changes that are taking effect this weekend at Michigan, and that is with the, the choose cone or choose line, as well as the way they're doing the lineup. Uh, we saw the choose cone or line come into play at the all-star race seemed to be a very favorable thing, but we all kind of agreed that they shouldn't change it in the middle of a season. Um, with the lineup, I'm going to let Sharon uh, hopefully have some information on that. I know I watched race hub and they got a mathematical formula that's going to uh, incorporate their point standings, the finish of the last race, as well as running position, if I'm not mistaken at different percentages. So, um, but those two things, the fact that it's being implemented this weekend and not at the beginning of the playoffs or in the next season. All right. And one thing to kind of keep in mind is that any road courses or uh, super speedways will not be uh, uh, using the choose cone. Uh, also, with regard to what you were just talking about, how NASCAR is going to um, determine the starting lineup, Instead of a random draw, they're going to reward season-long and single-race performance to determine the lineup and the pit selection uh, using owner points position, the finish, and the fastest lap from the most recently completed race. So the metrics will be rated in average to establish the starting order. Points position will be weighted at 35%, finishing position at 50%, and the fastest race lap at 15%. When the playoffs begin, playoff cars will fill the top uh, starting positions. For instance, the round of 16, those top 16 drivers will be uh, positioned uh, for those playoff spots. 
uh, in the round of 12. It'll be the 12 uh, playoff cars and so on. So that is uh, pretty much uh, a recap of uh, what the changes are. So, Jay, you brought that up. Uh, Andy, let's start with you on this one. Yeah, I, I think it's a good change. I think that it takes into, you know, three different variables that reward uh, performance from the last race, specifically the fastest lap and finishing position, as well as, you know, overall points position. So um, we've seen time and time again, um, you know, especially recently where certain drivers by pure chance, you know, start in the pole every single week, like the 10 car. I mean, they've had how many top one or two starting positions. And, you know, I think enough people finally looked at it and said, well, that's just plain not fair, you know, because track position, as we all know, means everything in this sport and can, can really, you know, do a lot. So, um, I think it's a step in the right direction, certainly. Um, you know, I think that this rewards, um, everybody, and I think everyone will have a chance to um, to, to get a, a front starting spot on a weekly basis, or at least have a decent shot at it. So, you know, definitely a step in the right direction in terms of fairness. And then we, we talked about the choose cone. I think that uh, it was a really cool rule they did for the all-star race, and honestly happy to see it implemented uh, everywhere except the, the road courses and the super speedways. So, um yeah, these are positive changes. I think it is, you know, to Jay's point, interesting that it wasn't implemented, um, you know, like for next season or later this year, but uh, might as well get it down now and get it perfected before it has some kind of a playoff implication. So, um, but these are both good. These are definitely both good additions, um, you know, to all three series moving forward. Okay. We are at that time of the night. When we are going to go off the air here at 9.30 p.m. Eastern Time. I'm sorry, 10.30 p.m. Eastern Time. And uh, that means that uh, even though we go off the air, we will continue to record the rest of the show and our conversation here on Hot Topic Sound Off. Um, For those that are listening live, all you have to do is as soon as I put the tweet out on Twitter that the podcast is available uh, you can go to player at com. Just fast forward uh, to the two-hour mark, and then you can hear the rest of the conversation. Podcast listeners will be able to listen straight through, uh, but we do like to just remind everybody that uh, we do go off the air at exactly 10.30 Eastern time, uh, but we will continue that conversation Uh, that will be available as bonus overtime material on the podcast. So with that, uh, uh, Mike, what are your thoughts? Well, with regard to the choose cone, I stand by uh, my opinion that I had a couple weeks on it. I think it worked really well at Bristol, and I think it's something that kind of has a future in the sport. But I'm not a big fan of making big changes like this in the middle of the season. This wasn't a safety concern. There was no danger involved. You know, say that, you know, the racing back to the caution change that they made a few years ago, a couple decades ago at this point, um, there wasn't an immediate safety concern. So I don't know that this was – you know, timed as well as it could have been. I would have liked to have seen it come in full-time for the 2021 season versus just kind of dropping it in in the back third of the season like they did. I think it'll be fine, but as far as setting the precedent for just making 
we just must have pretty substantial rules change in terms of how the races are conducted. I don't know that this is the best timing to do it, but, you know, what's done is done. Uh, as far as the starting lineup, I like the change a lot. Um, I, I know it kind of contradicts what I just said about changing stuff mid-season, but they're kind of making it up as they're going along with regard to starting positions since they're not doing qualifying. So I think that's a little bit different of a situation. Um, as fair as the random draw was and as much sense as it made, I think as time went on, it kind of showed that it was becoming a little bit less and less fair because you were getting a kind of a positive feedback loop going where these drivers would have a good enough uh, finishing position to move up into the top 12 in points. And now they're getting a good starting position, which is inherently feeding another good finishing position and so on and so forth. So it was kind of creating a situation where the rich had a lot better opportunity to get richer and not really giving the opportunity to other teams to maybe have a bad race or two, thinking of the 48 car, or the 21 car who slip out of that top 12 by a couple points. And now all of a sudden they go from a top five or top 10 starting position to somewhere in the twenties, um, all by virtue of, you know, a couple positions on the racetrack. And I understand that's racing, but at least this gives a little bit more uh, of an opportunity for the teams to control their own destiny in terms of their starting position for the next race. Okay. I definitely agree that uh, the starting lineup, is. this is a much better way of them doing that, especially going into the playoffs. Um, and, and with the lineup of the top 16 or the top 12 or whatever, um, I just think this is a much better way. I wish they would have done it this way all season long <clears throat> uh, in some respects, although th there was a time when I was thinking it's kind of nice to see different people up front and getting that opportunity to race up there, but uh, those cars just aren't capable of sustaining it, unfortunately. So I, I do think this is a better way. Uh, of doing it, and I'm, I'm glad to see the changes. As far as the cone, I don't know that it's going to be – we'll have to wait and see if it does have any significance. I'm going to say jury's still out uh, for me on that one as to whether this was a good move going into the playoffs or not. Um, it's certainly not un, uh, not without precedent that NASCAR has made some changes going into the playoffs, but uh, I, I do – I do want to kind of see how it plays out. Uh, at the All-Star Race, I don't know that I noticed any big deal about the uh, uh, cone rule, but um, we'll, we'll have to see how it plays out. Uh, so jury's still out on that one for me. Uh, Jay. Well, uh, if somebody needs to jump in here, I, I can tell you already, I can see myself taking up the final 27 minutes here. Uh, I got a lot of things on my mind, good and bad, good and bad, good and bad. Uh, start with the choose cone. I like the idea, and I think as teams get used to it and at different tracks, it's going to come into play in a huge way. I'm with Mike. I don't like them implementing it in the middle of a season. Worst case of, and I'll get to this with the the lineup, start it at the play uh, cutoff between the regular season and the playoffs. Uh, I'm in super in favor of it. I like to see it, and it, you know I've seen it personally live and in action and how it could play out. So I do like the idea, but I'm with Mike. It certainly could have waited until next year um, or, again, at the start of the playoffs. The lineup issue, this is where I have a real issue. <laughs> I'm with you guys. I like the fact of they're doing it based on performance. However, 
everybody up until now, since the return of racing following the, the pandemic break, has had to go under the luck of the draw of the random. These final races going into the playoffs are very crucial, and you've changed the way they are fighting to get in. So they shouldn't have changed it. In this case, I understand if they wanted to start it at the playoffs, that cut because you're already separating the field with your playoff drivers and your non-playoff drivers. I could understand that. Starting it with six races to go has given the advantage to the guys that are in and taken it away from the ones that are out. With the addition, though, of under the playoff rules, the top 16 are going to stay in the top 16 and get to start up front. I disagree with that. If we were doing qualifying, a playoff driver could qualify 30th on back. So I don't think they should automatically be given a top 16 starting spot. Um, So I don't like that aspect of what they did. The other thing I don't, fully understand is a few years back and and i know sharon and i talked about this uh separately they changed the point system because it was too complicated for fans to understand and follow when you got 180 points or 175 points for winning a race five points for leading lap that was too complicated and they wanted fans to be able to follow along i don't know that the race analyst uh you know specifically on race hub when they announced it said they could fully understand it and give you any kind of briefing on it because it is that complicated. I understand the concept rewarding performance and where they're at, which I do like, but again, it's really complicated and I've been a fan for a long time and I'm fairly decent at math. I'm trying to figure this all out. You know, it's one of those, the casual fan. Okay. They announced the starting lineup. There it is. Maybe don't even care. Um, but I think for the teams, it's definitely a factor. So, again, I don't like the fact that they're starting it prior to the playoffs and changing it up to that, like I said, the bubble, the cutoff bubble drivers in and out, I think it really does affect them over these next six races. Okay, Andy. Yeah, I mean, I do see where Jay's coming from there for sure. Um, they definitely didn't make it easier. Uh, you know, and certainly I can see where um, it would be easy to to not understand the lineup, you know, and they've certainly made that more difficult. But I, you know, having looked at the changes and seeing how they calculate it, like it, it does make sense. I will say this, I long for the day when they can just go out and run a couple laps or even just one lap and qualify again because that's the sure bet way to start the lineup for sure. Um, Hopefully they can uh, get back to that for 2021. But, uh, yeah, definitely more complicated, but I think it's more fair uh, in terms of, you know, we've seen, you know, to my point earlier, we've seen the same cars somehow get the pole, it seems like, every other week, and that's not fair at all. So maybe this will even the playing field a little bit, but ultimately, you know, the sure way of uh, starting the, the the lineup, or I should say setting the lineup up, would be just to go qualify. So, so hopefully we get back to some sense of normalcy for 2021. Okay, Mike. Yeah, I kind of like Jay's idea of using the playoffs as kind of a cut.
cutoff. We talk about the regular season versus the playoff season. Well, if we're going to differentiate that there's really two kind of two seasons going on right now, maybe that is a cutoff to potentially implement some changes. But at the same time, we don't want to open that door too much to wildly change how the season is conducted because you've got 26 races that lead up to it that were raced and conducted in a certain way. And if there's big fundamental changes to how those are conducted or if they make a big change to the car or something along those lines, well, that's not really conducive to aligning with how the teams have been performing to earn their way into the playoffs to begin with. Uh, I still like going back to the, you know, between the season. So if they want to make big fundamental changes to the sport, whether it's in rules changes, package changes, whatever, I would think the better move is to wait until that season break, you know, after Phoenix and before Daytona, and then start putting in those big changes from there. Unless of course there's a safety consideration, which is not really in play here. Okay. Uh, I don't really have anything more to say. So, Jay, anything follow-up? Well, the one thing I look at uh, of what what Andy was talking about, of of going to qualifying and or practice, the way the talk has been going and what the NASCAR has looked at it and the the cost-saving measures, they may go away from qualifying altogether next year as well. We don't know that yet. Right now, this year, under the necessity of the conditions, it is how it happened. But they're looking at cutting and restricting that anyway going forward. So this might be something that they're testing now to see how it works out that they use that to replace qualifying. And, again, I'm not necessarily opposed to that. I still would like to see some type of on-track. You know, again, we don't need two days of practice and then qualifying but a half hour to an hour um, session where they practice and qualifying is what I kind of was in favor of. But if that's what they're looking at of maybe implementing in place of that, I can see where they want to get it tested this year and see how it shakes out. Uh, Like I said, I just don't like the restriction of the top guys. I think it was maybe Mike that said the richer get richer. Your top 16 are automatically going to start in the top 16. I disagree with that wholeheartedly. Okay, um, Mike, we'll move on to you for the next hot topic. Um, well, we can't really have hot topics without the latest SRX teaser. So we got to look at the full car, and we got our first confirmed or maybe semi-confirmed NASCAR participant in it. Um, so first on the car, it looks like it's going to be a non-specific stock car style body and it kind of has an American muscle car look. So if you look at it, you'll see design elements from the Dodge Challenger. You'll see some elements from the Camaro. you see some elements from the Mustang. It looks really cool. Um, kind of the bigger news, at least in terms of NASCAR, uh, Ray Evernham posted about trying to get new drivers on Twitter, and Chase Elliott replied that he's in. So I'm not sure that that's an official announcement that Chase Elliott for sure will be participating in the SRX series next year, but it's the first indication of a big-name current NASCAR driver, at least that I've seen, who has, if not confirmed his participation, at least strongly hinted that he will be participating in SRX. Okay. RJ, you want to go next? Well, I was kind of with Mike. I, I like to see it and, and was excited about it, but I'm not sure it was 100% of confirmation that he was. And it is kind of surprising, as I mentioned, that Hendrick Motorsports is one that kind of did limit it, limit outside participation in other events. So for it to be a Hendrick Motorsports driver as one of the first was a little bit surprising. Now, with the driver of uh, Chase Elliott's 
popularity and status, he might be one that can get away with it too. So it'll be interesting to see, like Mike said, whether or not that it was confirmation or just him saying, hey, I'd like to, and put that feeler out there to Hendrick and see how it plays out. Uh, as far as the car, I do like the design of the car, um, where they're headed with that. So I'm not a big fan of that big spoiler on the back, but I'm not necessarily against it either. Okay, Andy. Yeah, I'm, I'm honestly pretty intrigued by this series for next year. Um, don't know a ton about it at this point, but, um, you know, as cool as it would be to see, you know, an active driver like chasing it, I think that, you know, the logistics of it, you know, hard to say if that will actually pan out or not, but I'm, I'm intrigued by, you know, the participants that they've uh, got so far. I think it's uh, Stuart Castroneves and Tony Canon. Maybe I'm wrong on – or Paul Tracy. That's what it is. Paul Tracy, Tony Canon, and uh, Tony Stewart. So some pretty big hitters there for sure. Um, I think this is um, going to be a lot of fun. I think it's uh, six races next summer. So looking forward to it. The car design is pretty cool. Um, I'm sure that they'll uh, continue to work on and evolve that as, as the next uh, few months go along. But um, it's going to be a lot of fun. You know, anytime that we can have some some new form of, of auto racing for us to, to check out, especially as it involves an all-star lineup like it does, um, you know, and uh, it really hopefully will test um, the driver's skill and, and see who really is the best of the best. So looking forward to it and uh, certainly excited to see how it evolves. Yeah, I feel the same way. I'm really looking forward to the series. Only six races. Uh, I'm almost disappointed that it's just six races. Uh, but I think they've done a really great job of kind of rolling out the series and kind of um, uh, spurring it along, if you will, because of uh, uh, last week they came out with just the front part of the car. Uh, this week they kind of showed the whole car. Uh, we're, you know, kind of anxiously sitting on the edge of our seats waiting for who's going to be the next driver uh, that they're going to announce as being part of the uh, SRX series next year. Um, so I'm just really more impressed with how they're rolling it out and generating excitement for the series. Uh, and kind of leaving us wanting more, if you will. Uh, I think they're doing a great job with that. So uh, whether or not Chase Elliott comes on board uh, is yet to be made official, but uh, it certainly is an intriguing idea, and I hope it does work out for him. So uh, we'll have to continue to wait and see who the other drivers are going to be in this series for next year. So, Mike, your thoughts? Yeah, when we first started talking about this series, we kind of laid out a checklist for things that they were going to need in order to be successful. First and foremost was the car. It had to be a good car. At least it looks cool. Obviously, we don't know how it races on a racetrack. But in terms of the visual appeal, I think the car, they, they knocked it out of the park with the car. It looks cool. It looks like something I want to see on a racetrack. The next thing that we said that they needed to have were big-name drivers. And unless you're going to pull somebody like Jeff Gordon or Dale Earnhardt Jr. out of retirement, there's really not a whole lot of bigger names in NASCAR right now than Chase Elliott. So if they really can nail down Chase Elliott where he's participating in this, uh, in this series, that's going to be a lot of eyes who are on television right now to watch NASCAR's most popular driver racing against some of these other guys in relatively equal equipment and a little bit different discipline of racing. Now the big third thing on the checklist that really hasn't been announced yet is the track selection. 
They've got to take the series to some cool tracks that will provide some intriguing racing. So that's probably going to be the next big domino to fall. Once we start getting a more firm driver lineup, figure out what these tracks are going to be, and then we can really start hyping this thing up. Absolutely, Jay. Well, and one thing, uh, one thing with that, and I'm sure they're they're having to cross their T's and dot their I's, being that we don't know how this uh, pandemic is going to play out, you know, and, and I've had to struggle with this. Of you can't exactly make concrete plans going into next year, as we mentioned, talked about sponsorships and, and where they're struggling with this year already let alone tracks that we've seen one or two that may not be on the schedule for next year anymore. I know Watkins Glen said they still plan to be. That was one of them that was mentioned. But so the track availability and commitments that they're willing to make at this point, not knowing how this pandemic is going to carry over into next year if it does. Yeah, that's a good point, Uh, Andy. Yeah, I think obviously there's um there's a lot of up in the air. I think there's you know you know even regards to this year there's a lot that um, could go either way, and I think next year remains a big question mark not just for for NASCAR but this new series too. Um, you know, I'm just hoping that things uh, progressively get better. Um, but yeah, there's going to be um, you know an impact as far as sponsors, you know whether they choose to get involved or not get involved and, and, you know, what, if they even, if they even go, you know, race next year. So, uh, but we have to hope for the best and and I'm certainly hopeful that they can get everything in place and, and, and go racing next year. I I really am looking forward to it. Um, You know, I think it's going to be fun. So hopefully things work in their favor and and they can, they can get things uh, off, off and running. Okay. Mike. Yeah, uh, that's really about it. We're still in wait-and-see mode. Like you said, they've done a really, really good job with that kind of slow-burn trickle of information. It keeps us talking about it every week, and I'm sure we're not the only ones talking about it. So they've done a really good job from the marketing standpoint, and I look forward to hearing more uh, for us to talk about and for them to announce about the series. Absolutely. Okay, Uh, let's see. I think that leads me back to Jay. Well, obviously, uh, we kind of danced around it in a couple of different ways, but NASCAR did announce the schedule now for the rest of the season uh, to include the playoffs for all of the top three series. Uh, Cup Series staying pretty standard, but there were some changes there amongst the other series. Okay. Andy, we'll start with you. Yeah, this is, um, you know, really for the most part, Un, you know, it was pretty predictable. The Cup Series will remain exactly as it otherwise was scheduled for its 10-race playoffs. Um, but just uh, if you'll bear with me a second, looking at uh, the schedule changes, two, the two really big changes for the Xfinity Series include a Richmond doubleheader. They're actually going to run um, Friday night on September 11th and then September 12th. And then they're also, and this was the really big shocker, they're adding a fourth super speedway race, and it will be at Talladega. I'm sure Mike's pretty happy about this. Adding uh, Talladega on October 3rd to the playoffs. We can only imagine how that's going to go. So um, that's going to be extremely interesting. Um, Also, the regular season is going to end at Bristol. 
That's on September 18th, so that's a little bit of a change, and they will begin their um, playoffs on uh, September 26th at Las Vegas. So a couple minor changes there, and uh, looking at the the truck series here, um, they're going to race at Darlington for the first time in forever on Labor Day weekend, which is really cool. And then um, Richmond's been thrown in there. That's a race that was supposed to have run in the spring. And uh, the rest of the, the playoffs look pretty much intact for the truck series. Um, so obviously, you know, not some not huge changes, but some pretty cool changes. And, and I'm just really excited that uh, we're finally going to see uh, a, a pretty good variety of racetracks to close out the year from this point forward. Um, and, you know, the truck series hasn't even run uh, a short track yet this year. So the fact that we've got, you know, a pretty neat variety coming up is going to make things pretty fun for us to talk about. So uh, certainly a couple pretty neat changes, um, you know, especially seeing truck series return to Darlington. To me, that's a highlight. And obviously uh, the Xfinity car is going to Talladega for a race that we didn't know was going to happen. So pretty cool. And, um, you know, but overall, uh, you know, a fairly predictable end to the season. Okay, Mike. Yeah, kind of what Andy said. I really like some of the additions that they've made here. Uh, Most notably, I really, really like that they are going to take NASCAR's arguably most entertaining racing right now in the truck series and put it on one of the most entertaining tracks that they've got right now in Darlington. The one thing that I really wish I would have seen on this would be add the truck series to the Charlotte Roval. Um, The trucks did lose that road course race up in Canada, unfortunately, and it would have been a pretty nice replacement to have them run with the Cup and Xfinity cars during that weekend. I'm not sure if logistically they couldn't make it happen or, or what the reason was why they wouldn't do that, but if I could make one change to the schedule that was announced today, I really would like to see the trucks on the Charlotte Roval. Okay. Uh, back to you, Jay. Yeah, again, I'm just uh, I'm happy with the fact that they are getting all the races in. They had to make a couple of changes. Uh, like these guys mentioned, a couple of the tracks that got left out, unfortunately, w- was looking forward to and out provide some entertainment. But some of the ones they've added in there, uh, Darlington with the trucks being one of them. Uh, I'm not sure how the trucks would handle on the what do you call it, the roval of a self-designed road course like that and i don't know if that's why they were left off originally when it became the roval or not um would be interesting to see if they got a test session in there to see how that would work for the trucks being a little bit higher in height um definitely some interesting things that that have gone on like i said i'm just happy the fact that there it looks like they're going to get all the races in at least numbers wise and keep it a level playing field as they have in years past versus having to cut it short. You know, and I compare it to baseball, a 60, 60 season ball season compared to 162, you got to be on top of your game from the get go. So they were able to not cut that short. And I, and I commend them again for what they have done with that. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Andy. Uh, yeah, nothing really to follow up on. You know, um, you know, I do think that Mike brought up a, a cool point about them running the roval, but I think that um, the truck series only runs one road course a year, and teams were probably prepped accordingly, and, and they're going to run at Daytona next weekend. So that's probably why they didn't run the roval. But, 
be kind of cool to see them maybe do that sometime down in the future. I, I, I love road course racing, and the more the better. So maybe that's something we'll see down the road. Okay, Mike. Yeah, and Jay brings up a good point about the lack of testing at the Roval. Um, I would say the Daytona road course is probably a little bit better to put these truck drivers who have never been on a racetrack like that, put them out there. Daytona could probably be a little bit more forgiving than Charlotte. Charlotte's a little tighter, a little more technical, uh, and Daytona could probably be a little bit more forgiving to have somebody go out there for the first time, never seeing it before. So from that aspect, I can definitely understand why they wouldn't want to put the trucks on the Charlotte level. It's just me as a race fan talking about, man, I'd love to see the trucks out there. Okay, Jay. Well, if if we're going to talk about uh road course racing in and of itself. Uh, I know the Xfinity series runs there happens to be this weekend. I've been there Elkhart Lake, Wisconsin. I mean, that is one that I would love to see the cup series or the truck series. Uh, I know uh, Sharon's probably the closest, I guess. I don't know how often Mike gets up that way, but if you get a chance uh, drive out into the middle of nowhere, there out in Elkhart Lake, but a wonderful (laughs) facility out there. Yeah. Road America. I'd love to go there, but uh, it's just not in the cards for this year. Uh, Andy? Yeah, same here. I, um, You know, that's the first race that they've allowed fans at for the Xfinity Series since the pandemic. I was um, extremely tempted to try it, but the, uh, the logistics and the COVID really kind of hampered those efforts. I'm still hoping to try to get to some more races later this year, but um Cool facility. Looking forward to watching on TV on Saturday and hopefully can go one of these times. Okay. Um, Let's see. I've lost track of whose topic this was. (laughs) Uh, I brought brought it up. Jay, yeah. Oh, okay. So, Mike, you've got a follow-up then. Oh, um, yeah, We're talking about the end of the schedule for 2020. Don't forget, NASCAR has been advertising for the past 18 months. There's going to be a major schedule overhaul for 2021. And aside from the addition of Nashville Super Speedway, we really don't know anything about what the schedule for 2021 is going to look like. So I agree. I'd like to see at least the Cup Series, if not all three major series, go to Road America. And I don't think that's off the table. Uh, I, I think that's a, a very viable option to add to the 2021 schedule. So let's get our fingers crossed. And when they finally do get around to it, and that does become the nearer alligator to the boat, um, but they start talking about sending more series up there to race on that beautiful facility. Okay, Jay. Last follow-up. Well, I, th- I think they're kind of in the same boat. Obviously, they've been scrambling and working on this year's schedule a chunk at a time. So uh, not that it's not important or was a priority, but – I'm sure next year's schedule kind of got put on the back burner. And again, we're looking at, we don't know what kind of impact this COVID-19 might carry into next year. So uh, again, they're going to be in a hard position, I think, even going into next year, unfortunately. But I do think, like Mike said, that they said, you know, anything was on the table. I know we've talked about Iowa Speedway uh, being one. Some of these other tracks, like, and especially when you're talking about road courses, I haven't been to it, but I know uh, I've heard Road Atlanta. Uh, Mike and I kind of threw out the, uh, uh, help me out, Mike, what's the road course over it on the other side towards Talladega? Uh, Barber Motorsports. Barbers, yeah, between Birmingham and Talladega is Barber Motorsports Park. 
you know, and, and when he brought that up, I really kind of like that idea of if you're going to do a double header of the road course at Barber on Saturday, Talladega on Sunday, I, I think is very intriguing, something like that. And I know logistically wise, I mean, way over my head, you know, you got to carry the road course car as well as a super speedway car, not exactly ideal, but something to that effect, I think that, like I said, NASCAR is looking at it as far as cost cutting measure, you know, one weekend, okay, it's two different cars. Maybe it's not as much as you, as you think then, but different ideas like that that they're at least willing to look at. Okay. Same with then Road Atlanta and Atlanta Motor Speedway, I guess. Okay. I think we'll let that be the last word then for tonight. Uh, let's go ahead and start our roundtable, and uh, Jay, we'll start with you. All right. Facebook with my name, Michael Hoosman, part MJ8 on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, doing myself a doubleheader, if you will, this weekend, Jackson Motor Speedway, your capital city raceway. Be on the mic there for uh, an extended period of time as they'll run features from last weekend and then start with a whole nother program uh, due to the rain out. So that'll be my Saturday activity anyway. Sunday will probably involve some sleep. <laughs> Okay, Mike? Yeah, Mike Orzell on Facebook, Mike underscore Orzell on Twitter. Um, hoping to be in the majority, at least, of our fan for racing chat rooms this weekend for the races in Michigan. Can't promise I'll make all of them, but at least for the cup races, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try and be present and accounted for in there. So look for me there if you want to touch base. Okay. Uh, Andy? And uh, for me, ALFD14 on Twitter and um I will for sure be in the uh, truck Xfinity in the Saturday Cup chats, possibly Sunday, but not sure yet. So we'll be able to uh, do most of the races this weekend. Looking forward to it, a lot of them, and uh, should be fun. Okay. And I am Fan for Racing site on Twitter, Fan for Racing blog and radio elsewhere on social media, as well as our website, fanforracing.com. Uh, a lot of articles uh, to be coming out from Vampir Racing. I do have the uh, new power rankings from Owen Stewart. Uh, and I know, Andy, you said you were working on a Hot Topic segment for this week. Uh, and uh, we'll look for that to be coming out. Jay, are you still working on your piece? Yes. Uh, I could add that to my list of either tomorrow or Saturday before going or then cutting my sleep on Sunday. I guess I will get uh, try and get that finished up here and to you. Okay. And and I know there's a lot of news uh, items that uh, I'm behind on right now uh, <laughs> with all the news that came out today. So I'll be working on that first thing in the morning and look for those articles to be coming out at fanparacing.com. Uh, over the weekend. So, yeah, I hope to make uh, some of the chat rooms this week. Uh, it's been really rough uh, doing that. I've had a lot on my plate here, but uh, I'll try to make as many as I possibly can. So uh always enjoy uh, uh, talking with you guys and uh, definitely appreciate all that you do. And, uh, of course, to our listeners who tune in each and every week, we appreciate all of you, whether you're listening to the podcast or listening to our live broadcast. We appreciate everybody. Uh, and uh, we hope you'll take part in our chat feature. Again, it's in the upper right corner at Uh We have a chat uh, 
just uh, there for uh, just a regular chatting. Uh, we have the review chat for the race review on Monday nights, the preview chat for Thursday night show, and, of course, the race day chat uh, for any of the race day, races that are going on over the weekend. Uh, we have the chats uh, available for everybody to participate in. So uh, with that, I think we'll call it a wrap. And uh, we'll I got one last. To- I got one last thing there, Sharon. Okay, Jay, go ahead. As as the whatever commissioner, or whatever the fan for racing, uh, fantasy points there, and I don't want anybody to accuse me of being anti Mike. So, with the question of Alex LeBay possibly not being in the car this weekend, uh, right. Mike has given me Justin Algaier as a backup. If Alex LeBay starts, that is his primary driver. However, if he is held out of the car. He will then switch over to Justin Algar. Oh, okay. If he's held out of the car before or after the green flag, does that matter? Right. No, prior to. If he, if Alex LeBay starts the race, that's the driver Mike is taking. However, if he isn't okay. allowed to, uh, then he would be allowed to go to Justin Algar. Gotcha. Okay. So uh, there you have it uh, for our fantasy picks for this weekend. Uh, that kind of closes the deal there. And, uh, again, definitely looking forward to the races this weekend. We've got a lot of good ones on tap, and I uh, can't wait to see who the race winners are going to be. So, uh, again, thank you, guys, and uh, we'll look forward to talking to you on the other side on Monday uh, for a show that starts at 8.30 p.m. Eastern time, and uh, we do our hot topics at 10. So take care. Enjoy your race weekend, guys. Good night. Have a good, have a good weekend. And good night, everybody. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.